0: Steam-powered scoundrels, Arcanist faction. I first like to say that Skin's and Stones put out their own primer, focusing specifically on the game itself. And it is a good thing to listen to before you come to this if you're new to the game and want to understand how the gameplay works. I'll put a link to that in the description. Also, if anyone is interested, I would have my own Discord channel that I frequent very often, as well as a lot of the other hosts of this show. So come swing by. A link of that will also be in the description. Welcome to the very first Faction Primer of Steam-Powered Scoundrels featuring the Arcanists. I'm your host, as usual, Doug. And with me is a very
1: big fan of the
0: Arcanist Faction besides
1: myself. Uh, Introduce yourself. Hi, I am myself, Roman Hackenberger. Uh, You may know me from previous episodes of this illustrious podcast, as well as the uh, Monday model that shows up and is flaunted all over your weird aspects of Facebook. The
0: uh, blog postings from Steams and Scones' blog. I said
1: Scones. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, the, the lesser-known uh, bakery-driven brother of Kyle Stone's, Kyle Scones.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was the joke? Oh, Steams and Scones, a latte podcast. <laughs> but we're doing something a little bit different today. We thought we would try and do our service to the community and put out some primers for each faction to sort of give new players uh, an idea of what each faction does what each master in each faction does and give them reasons why they might want to play that faction or those masters so we'll be going through each faction just for funsies we'll make it alphabetical so today's arcanist and then our next one should be bayou But it's not going to be in-depth, so if you're looking for some hardcore tactical information, we're not going to give it to you. It's mostly just going to be what things do, interesting things they do, and the fluff around them, because those things would be interesting to new players. So, while you might not be interested in listening to this, if you know someone that's getting interested in in Malifo, this might be a good place to point them if they're not exactly sure where they should start and who they should play. So, without much further ado... Uh, we'll try and explain in simple, I don't want to say simple terms, but uh, we'll we'll try to explain things as though uh, you're not terribly familiar with the game. So, what we mean by masters is that every game is controlled by a leader, which is usually a master. Each faction has eight masters, and there are seven factions. The faction we're covering today is the Arcanists. They have eight, they actually have nine, technically. Masters, because one of them is sort of uh, in/out. Depends on how you play the game or what your uh, tournament organizer will allow. So we'll get into that later. But along with each master is a keyword that the master will have, and the models that they sort of fit and go along with them in their crews will have. So when you're hiring, you usually will go and pick. Models that have the same keyword as your master while you can Purchase other models with different keywords that are in your faction. They will cost a little more so it's trying to keep everything close and tight and in theme a Few monsters will also include other keywords as well depending on the hiring and it'll make more sense when we get to that sort of thing Okay, first up we're going to go over the general fluff of the arcanist faction This is a human faction with human goals and human politics alongside the Guild and the Outcasts and the Ten Thunders and uh, kind of the Resurrectionists a little bit. But these are very much the anti-establishment, rebellious group at Melifo. They're generally mostly just opposed to the Guild rather than uh, really fighting any of the other factions. So you get a lot of very anti-government, very, uh, I would say... It's left-leaning themes, if that makes sense, is that an accurate description? Roman, I would say so. Yeah. Okay. And fitting in with that sort of politics around that time, there's a lot of uh, unionizing, especially one of the keywords, and people just being uh, very anti-government, lots of protesting, and alongside of that, there's a more radical aspect to them. Uh, people like to joke around and call them terrorists, and you might agree, might not agree. It's 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 not any sort of bad mocking. They're less cohesive in a theme as other factions, which might be a detriment, might not. It's just one master can be very, very different from the next master, and can be very, very different from the next master. And it's usually quite obvious when you hire outside of your keyword that the model doesn't necessarily belong. But that's also variety, so it's something you might like, something you might not like. But uh up until this point, they have opposed the guild, um, both in a legal sense and an illegal sense. There's a legal portion of the Arcanists, which is primarily taken up by the Miners and Steampbidders Union, and the more radical, uh, illegal side of things uh, go by the name of the Arcanists. Now, along with just workers' rights, the Arcanists tend to be fighting for freedom from the guild, and especially magical freedom for everyone that can do magic in this universe of Malapha. And so they might, they go about this in a pretty brutal manner for some people. And then some of the other masters that come with this faction are people that tend to be running things or um, have a lot of influence in the general area of Malifaux that the Arcanists tend to run out of. Now, they have a presence in Malifaux City. If you know what Malifaux City is, that it's the, the big town that's kind of like Victorian London in this side of the breach that's not on Earth. And then there's different areas of the globe around that, and we'll say that the northern part is called the northern hills and includes mountain ranges and a few other things, and this is where the Arcanists have a lot of power. So you will get a master that's uh, very winter-themed, and it's quite wild, and there's a master that's themed around animals. So, the first one we're going to talk about is actually a master that's technically not in the faction anymore. Since uh things have happened, and this is the third of edition of Malafo um some people have gone out of faction, some people have switched factions, some people have died. One of these people that is no longer a part of sort of the Malafo story at the moment is a guy named Victor Ramos. Now, in second edition, he was a master in first edition, he was also a master but he is sort of the progenitor of this entire faction. He is the person that started the miners and steamfitters union. He is the person that started the arcanists. And he is the person that is uh just you know ha- was running the entire show for much of the story. Then at one point he wanted to go do his own thing <clears throat> involving a giant uh, centipede tank and sort of distributed his power among some of his underlings and then one of his underlings some people might say betrayed him and he got arrested by the guild and now he's at earth in prison so he's out of the picture but Victor's thing is uh he's definitely the one of the bigger steampunk things oh, I guess I never mentioned that uh, one of the overarching themes of the group is steampunk it's a lot of themes and there's a lot of it's steampunk and magic but he was one of the very steampunk-esque masters he was summoning. He did a lot of summoning. He still does summoning now. Okay, first off, one thing you will really notice about Ramos is that he really likes spiders. He likes machines, and he likes spiders. He's he's the biggest Spider-Man fan before Spider-Man was a thing. All of his models, except for one, I believe, were spiders. One or two. But he was the president of the Miners and Steamfitters unit, and he ran the Arkness for a very long time. He's definitely the political juggernaut out of everyone in this faction or was and he's not necessarily a good guy he's done quote-unquote good things but he's mostly been for his own benefit he's very stereotypical old inventor tinkerer man
1: he was always this kind of weird cross-section of both a terrifying intellect and the the charisma to bring people together, even if they know that he's not doing these things for the right reasons, he is doing things that are helping people, so it was one of those of he just was had this weird, really perfect uh combination of intelligence and charisma to make all these disparate uh sub themes within the faction led by these really focused personalities work together. That's an
0: excellent way of putting that. I try. But I think that's generally a good overview of what he does, but how does he play, Roman?
1: So, he is still a summoner. Uh, anybody that knows him from or has read over things from the previous edition, uh he is still a summoner. He even can still summon multiple, excuse me, multiple models at once. Uh it is a little harder for him, the numbers are a little higher for him to get things, but the trade-off is now he's not just summoning the little spiders, the steam arachnids. He also can summon the swarm of them together uh, without having to summon three of them and then playing a little game to meld them together into a swarm. He can also summon the single big spiders, the mecharachnids. And the one thing he can summon that does not have eight legs is the soulstone miner. Uh, So he has more options. He's traded in some of his efficiency to get them. That said, he's not uh, as much support as he used to be. Uh, He now has a few more tricks as far as he he can heal his friends that he summons in or hires in if they're constructs. He can also make them explode from anywhere on the board uh, for a four, and that will do uh, two damage to people around them uh, without any resist. So he's one of these. There's a few masters that do this in the game, but uh, he is basically splitting his time between healing. His friends that he's brought in, bringing in more of them, shooting a few things uh, with his electrical bolts, and making stuff explode.
0: Uh, on top of making things explode, he can also turn them into another creation of his that's really, really, really right. put together. But it basically is a walking landmine, so it is possible for him to blow up a friendly model turn it into this landmine thing and then blow that thing up and then that thing will also explode so uh he can be some really surprising burst damage if your opponent's caught unaware
1: yes and technically he can also summon those electrical creations which is what that is yes uh, as it is a machina construct but yeah no that's a that's an excellent point uh he just cascades explosions when he needs them to happen
0: Okay, well as well as Victor there are several other Machina keyword models. A few of them are also in his sort of situation where they're not technically a part of the Arcanist although they can be allowed to be if a tournament organizer allows it. So I guess we never described what it was called. They have a these grouping of masters and models called the Dead Man's Hand. This allows them to keep the master balance similar across the board but also cycling in some masters and st- in and some masters out. So uh, Victor Ramos is off technically out of the Arcanist stats and also the Electric Creation is not hireable amongst the Arcanists. But the ones that are still available are the uh, oh, also the Barasarachna. I forgot. His totem. Every master has a totem, which they can bring in for free. Uh-huh. The Barasarachna is a very large spider. Like Almost the size of the large arachnids.
1: Yeah, it should not fit on a 30 mil base. It's supposed to fit on a 30 mil base, and somehow it does, but it really shouldn't.
0: If you ever get around, if you ever buy the Ronomos box, you have to remember that the thing will assemble rearing up, which helped me quite a bit. hmm <laughs> But away from difficult to build models, he also has quite a few spiders. As we mentioned before, the regular old steam arachnid, which is a very cheap model, Used for uh, harassment and scheming, it's it's cheap, it's it's a little bit uh, survivable, and it can become a large group of them called the Steam arachnid swarm, which is a bit lot tankier, a lot hittier. Um, definitely used more for damage than for scheming. Then, as Roman said, the big boys are called the mecha arachnids. Which are a good, versatile piece. They have a very coveted ability that lets them ignore a lot of defensive tech in the game.
1: They're also, in, in my experience, playing him uh, in the beta in a few games since. Uh, they are also his workhorse. They're the ones he's going to summon, I think, the most often. They're, they're fairly survivable with armor, too. It's hard to get through to them. They don't hit, like, trucks, but they hit well. Uh, and they're fairly easy to summon in, and if you have a slightly higher card, you can summon in one of them and a, a little steam arachnid at the same time to send off and go run schemes. Um, I did want to mention one thing uh, as far as the dead man's hand goes, uh, because this it's it's something that is a little confusing the way weird has put it out, uh, because it changed in the the beta. Essentially, all the dead man's hand stuff are actually considered to be in their factions. But anything that has the Dead Man's Hand tag on it can essentially, it's an on-off switch for the the tournament organizers. So they can say, we are allowing them or we aren't. If they are, you declare Arcanist, you can bring Ramos. If they aren't, you declare Arcanist, you can't bring Ramos. But all of these Dead Man's Hand models and masters will be allowed in friendly play for anybody that just wants to try them out.
0: So not a real reason to avoid them if you're afraid that you're not going to be able to play this guy.
1: Yeah, and from I've I've talked to quite a few henchmen and tournament organizers. Everybody said unless something is clearly broken about any of them, they're planning on allowing them until proven otherwise. So, if you have any worries, talk to your local henchman and say, <laughs> "Hey, I'd like to run my my favorite master, please."
0: Okay. Well, we probably need to get going because we have a lot of models to get through. Um, Soulstone Miners are the one mechanical thing he can summon that doesn't have eight legs, but I mean, well, the Steam Ragnars only have four, but yeah, actually we don't know how many legs it has. we only see the top half. These are versatile models in the Arcanists and they're very, very good scheme scheme runners. I don't know if they will be affected um, by any sort of nerfs when the game comes out, but they're quite good. They can just uh, take themselves off the board and then pop themselves on. um, just about anywhere that isn't close to your opponent's starting zone, which makes them very good for scoring. Next is Joss. Joss is or was Ramos's uh, henchman. He's now uh, working for another master. But uh, if you bring Ramos, you can obviously bring Joss. Joss is a is a heavy hitter. He also has the ability to basically ignore a lot of defensive tech. But he's got a decent shot, just like Ramos. He's got an electricity theme, so he shoots lightning. And he has a mean explosion when he dies. The mobile toolkit is just a support piece. It's very cheap, but it will make your other constructs
1: um, a lot tougher. For sure. And it's a a great utility piece, too. Uh, One thing that Joss uses is some power tokens. It's a way to give him more of those if you need.
0: Cool. Okay, the uh, the person, uh, when Ramos uh, abdicated his power, he gave the Arcanist to one uh, master, and he gave the Miners and Steamfitters Union to another master. This one we're going to cover. So the Miners and Steamfitters Union is shortened to MNSU, and the master for that keyword is Tony Ironsides. Now, Tony Ironsides is a lady with a bit of a kick for vengeance. She was, um, her parents were lynched in the United States, which put her on the uh, opposite side of the guild. and so she went to Malifaux, and Ramos picked her up, and he used her as a troubleshooter, which is basically a, a kind of a policing force for the Arcanists, but she was also used to stir up riots and whatnot, so she became kind of an icon, so when he abdicated, he gave her control over the Midas and Union because she was pretty well known amongst that organization al- already. But, Roman, how does she play?
1: So she is... She can pretty easily switch gears between tanking everything you can throw at her and pummeling you into just squish. She is a cage fighter, essentially, and that is exactly how she runs. Uh, And her crew just becomes this hard target. If you need to go to the middle or go to any particular spot and hold it, that is their their game, and I challenge anybody to move them off a point once they have chosen to do so. Yeah, she will basically pick her point, say, I have a few friends here to back me up, and I'm backing them up as well. And then she will actually point and point out a target and say, you come over here. I'm challenging you to a fight. They're forced to punch her. She punches them back automatically with a defensive trigger, uh, and it goes from there. Uh, she has her... As she fights and gets into a a big brawl, she builds up her unique uh, resource called Adrenaline, and she can use that uh, in a few different ways. Some of her triggers allow to spend it for more actions or more damage. Uh, She can also use that as damage reduction, which is why she becomes such a tank, in addition to other things which allow her to heal here or there. Uh, So yeah, she is a a rock-solid piece. Her crew likes to bubble a little bit around her but i also really like uh running them as with a buddy system that allows them to get uh some extra defensive tech
0: so a little bit more on the the bubble mechanic um for one tony ironsides is kind of unique as a master and, and as a keyword that she has three henchmen most excuse me most keywords usually have two or or even one and each henchmen bring some sort of bubble that will help with the defense of the rest of the crew. As Along with that, everyone in her keyword has an ability called un, um, Unionized, which will give them bonuses to their defense and willpower flips. So it makes the group definitely want to group up, at least next to someone else with the keyword to get those uh, positive flips.
1: Oh, and another another aspect of that... Tony likes having friends nearby because if she has an enemy engaging her, or rather that she is engaging, the enemies can only hit her. They cannot attack other of uh, Tony's friends nearby.
0: Okay. Well let's quit let's go through the other models and a keyword real quick. Her hint her uh, totem is a dwarf named Mouse. Mouse is the spy master for the Arcanists, although I'm not sure what he's doing now at this point. But he's a master strategist, and he carries around some rope to start uh, to mess with people to get a noose around them and drag them around. And he also carries a barrel of alcohol to give to his friends to give them a little bit of a healing boost.
1: So the captain is her first henchman. The aura he brings to help out is his middle-of-the-storm which says it's much harder to get any damage on uh, his friends nearby from a projectile action, a ranged action with a a projectile icon. Reduces two damage from anything you do, so most times anybody near him is only going to take one damage from a bullet. He's also versatile, so he will not just see him in this crew because he has a few other very nifty things, not necessarily for killing but uh, for scheming, although he does kill very well. He can walk away from other engagements without anybody being able to hit him. And that also allows him to remain uh, and able to scheme, which is an amazing ability this edition. And uh, he also has a Relic Hammer, which is one of the few remaining two-inch engagements. It's very hard ignoring shielded uh, with a 3-4-6 damage track. It has a a ranged shockwave ability, which is a good way to get around a lot of defensive tech and can put up some concealing terrain markers that last until the end of the turn, which is another way to make it harder for uh, enemies to shoot into or through them uh, for at any other friendlies.
0: Um, we will get to that Relic Hammer a couple times in these primers. There's three models currently in the game that have a Relic Hammer. And Relic Hammers have a very strong tie to the Tyrants, which are sort of like uh, Elder God or, or Old Ones from um, lovecraftian lore they're very powerful ancient entities that uh, could come back at any moment and utterly wreck malitha next up is ironsides's second henchman amina naidu she is the lawyer for the miners and steamfitters union or at least their, their head lawyer and she has a lot of shenanigans that can certainly annoy your opponent her main bubble is that models cannot take an attack when they charge within six inches of her she has an ability to slow down opponents that engage her and i think her primary uh an attack ability is something called an obey where she can force an opposing model to take an action against their will and in this edition it's a very powerful thing so if you ever see an opposing model with an obey watch out because they can make you do a lot of a lot of gross things one other action that she has is she can move friendly models towards objects like uh, ski markers or scrap and then she can also make those models fast so she's definitely more of a support piece
1: and her final henchman uh joshua fitzsimmons he is the main piece that will be reducing damage As his two auras he puts in, one will reduce damage on all friendly MNSU models in a a six-inch bubble around him by one. And the other one, if his friendly models are at half or less of their wounds, all damage flips on them suffer a negative. So he is a very uh, hated target by your opponent if you are running Tony and Friends. Uh, He does decent melee damage. He has a very cool ability to blow up scheme markers and make them do a shockwave from them. And he can make enemies discard a card and possibly make you draw a card afterwards.
0: One of the things we didn't go over that's also a key piece to the MNSU keyword is something called the Workers Protection Act which is an aura that is on Tony and is an aura that is on Amina. And uh, most of the models in this keyword have an ability called grit. What grit is, is that if this model is at half wounds or less, it can do something extra. And what the Injured Workers Act does is it lets them use that ability regardless of how much health they have. So the next model, and finally not a henchman, is Howard Langston. Howard Langston uh, belongs to quite a few masters and has gone through a lot of things. He is one of those really iconic models that everyone kind of remembers from uh, past editions. He is half man, half giant mechanical spider with a bunch of mechanical tentacles, too. Because why not? He is a big old melee beater, and he is one of the models in the game that can actually outright kill a model if your opponent doesn't have enough resources to spend to keep them alive. Howard Langston plays for both the M and SU, and he is also in another master's keyword, which we'll get to later, who's more of a contract uh, construct-specific master. He can currently only be found in Victor Ramos's box, so if you really want this model, you need to get that until he comes out in another format.
1: And that brings us to the first uh, minion in this keyword, the Union Miner. Uh, these are going to be your primary Scheme Runners. Their grit ability allows them to move a little bit at the start of their activation. This isn't a walk, so it can get them out of engagement. Uh, they can also remove all destructible terrain at the start of their activation within a one inch of them. And uh, that is very useful when you need it, depending on uh, the terrain on your table and other masters that may put out destructible terrain. The main thing you're bringing them for is they can put out two scheme markers at range uh, in one activation. You then have to feed it a scheme marker at the end of the game or end of the turn rather, but it doesn't have to be one of those two so just with that, this crew loves tight in schemes whenever you can Correct. they also do a i was going to say they also do a little bit of of melee damage and can put out burning at range, but that's much rarer for you to see them do
0: mm-hmm. Uh, Sorry, I was going to say there are currently a couple schemes that require you to um, have scheme markers close to your opponent, and these what definitely what these guys are for. Mm-hmm. Their next minion that's MNSU is the gunsmiths. Gunsmiths are um, one of the few ranged models in this keyword. They are people that are basically covered in customized guns. And considering how strict the guild is on just about everything, that's kind of their in with the arcanists, is that they're allowed to do whatever they want with the weapons they have. So they have a lot of options, as it were, for shooting things. So their grid ability, which is very, very useful, allows them to add any suit they want to an action. And so when they're shooting with their guns, they can do things like ignore armor or increase their chances of getting more damage or taking another shot a lot of useful stuff they can also shoot uh ski markers at range so they're another anti skiing piece
1: and their final minion the union steam fitter is one that they share with another keyword in these guys uh, work very well with howard uh, because they work in that same faction their grid ability they can give out shielded one to another friendly model in two inches. They can also turn a scrap marker within three to gain a power token. That's the augmented uh, cruise ability. We'll get to them in a bit. But the reason this is also great is their bonus action. They can discard a card to put down a scrap marker, which Howard can then use to gain a power token, which really ups his ability They also heal constructs with their melee attack, which can help if you bring, again, Howard or some of the versatile constructs in this group.
0: Great. And I want to talk real quickly before we move on about Tony's box. Now, there's quite possible that if you want to play her and you go out and look for her, you'll be able to find a third edition box, which is good. If you come across the second edition box, which will be a dark green color as opposed to sort of the parchment yellow they have going, you'll notice that there are some... Strange looking wizard ninjas uh, um, in that box. And those are Oxfordian mages. And they have been moved to another master with a different keyword. So just a, just a heads up for that. If you end up getting her box, you will still get the captain and mouse, which are definitely great models. So the other sort of face of the uh, Victor Ramos's Arcanists is the leader of the actual Arcanists, the um, radical political movement. Radical not, Definitely nothing about terrorism um, This is definitely your uh, This is your fire wizard Is the best way I can describe her Her name is Anasalia Karis She hails from San Francisco She has a bit of a angry streak I guess she's a little bit more Prone to violence Almost like uh, the fire that she likes to wield she, Hot-headed you might say Yeah, some, something like that so after she took power, she's been a lot more aggressive than Ramos ever was, and it's coming to be a bit of a problem because she really likes setting things on fire. Her model is really, really iconic because she's wearing these really big mechanical wings that allows her to fly. So her and her group, if it wasn't obvious, likes to set things on fire, which is a very specific kind of play style. Why don't you go into that,
1: Roman? So they leverage the burning condition, and they do so mostly by putting out pyre markers and forcing uh, the enemy to have the choice of, do I run through the fire in order to get to you, or do I not and allow you to come to me? And in most cases, they actually themselves like sitting in or near the fire, because they can use it for uh, different abilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, Beyond that, they are... Pretty mobile uh there's a lot of Karis herself is this amazing skirmisher, I would say, but she can also tank fairly well with her high wounds and armor and pretty good defense if you attack her, you will as long as you're not ignoring triggers, you will get extra fire because she has that built in on her defenses uh, and she essentially will set up the table for her crew to move around more pyre markers and then we'll pick something and either kill it or throw it around as that is her melee attack she literally flies over and throws them so it's it's pretty fun i've put this crew on the table a number of times and done very well with it which i'm very happy to say after last edition uh where she was usable but you had to be exactly precise with her to get good results
0: all right now brings a I guess we should definitely refer to her as there are Very few people actually knew her first name up until now that they're putting it on the card. So Charis it is, or Big K, if you're like me and want to be special. But her totem is the Eternal Fame. It's basically a squat metal spider with fire coming off of it, and what it's primarily used for is is manipulating pyre markers. You could use character, um, Karis's ability to move them herself, but why not when you got this little dude pushing them around and making them blow up and setting other things on fire?
1: It's great fun. As for her first henchman, it's the fire starter. This guy likes to fly around, much like Karis, and light things on fire. He is a little squishy, but, again, has flight. He actually has a really cool thing that says if an enemy is killed by the burning condition, he can count as having killed it which is important for a few things. If anybody near takes the assist action, which is one way to remove burning, it suffers a damage. Just straight up, which is pretty great. That said, he really is made to either move things around that have burning. He can push them based on the amount of burning they have and reduce it a little bit. He can, but really what he's there for is to scheme run. He has a bonus action where he takes a damage, gets an extra action, and with that and flight of move 7, he can cover 24 inches of, of, excuse me, 21 inches of of table a turn if he needs to.
0: That's crazy. I guess we should clarify if you're not familiar with the rules. Normally when a person burns to death, they are not necessarily counted as being killed by the crew that put the burning on them. So this is the way to kind of get around that. Because certain things will require you to kill your opponent's models, and if they die due to the burning effect, that won't happen. So, heads up. Mm-hmm. Also, the assist action is something models can take to sort of remove uh, certain conditions, or parts, chunk of certain conditions from models. One of those conditions being burning. So models can pat out the burning on another model, but if you have the fire starter around, the model that took that action will take damage. So, it's a bit they have to pay for it a little bit more. The other henchman that Karis has, and by the way, this is the wildfire keyword. <laughs> Good on us to to remember the keyword names. This is a wildfire keyword. Karis's second henchman is Carlos Vasquez. He is a henchman for another keyword as well. And I would say he, by appearance, he looks like he kind of belongs with that one a little bit more. But his abilities, I think, go a little bit more towards Karis than the other one. He is a fire dancer, has a very beautiful sculpt. And he's the one that can put out burning just by activating near near models, which is good for the wildfire because you want your models to be on fire. It lets him do stuff. But he can also create pyres. He's good. He's got a really decent attack. And
1: um, Roman, what does he use burning for? So he actually, he'll take damage from his burning at the end of the turn, but he'll reduce it by one to zero and when he takes damage from it, he gives Distracted out to a an enemy within, I think it's six inches. <laughs> awesome. All right. Mm-hmm.
2: Anything else you want to say about Carlos?
1: No, he's pretty solid. I think you're spot on the money. He His abilities go more wildfire than performer, but he's, he's also really fast for a guy that doesn't have flight, uh, and he has another ability that will push him out of engagement. Uh, in addition to giving him burning. So it's really hard to lock him down.
2: Okay. Why don't you tell us about Elijah?
1: Elijah, I am so excited for this model. Uh, He is a new enforcer for the Wildfire uh, crew, and he hits like a truck that is on fire. If he charges through you, or rather, he can charge through you and just forcibly give you a damage. Uh, If he's within two inches of a pyre marker, He uses it like armor, so he reduces all damage by one. Uh, He ignores terrifying and manipulative, so he doesn't care how scary you are. He literally likes to stand in fire, which he can do. And when he has burning, he can do the same thing Karis does, of reduce it by one to get a positive on whatever he's doing, whether it's uh, a defensive flip or an attack flip. So yeah, those two things really work well together. And the reason he's hitting like a truck is because he has a greatsword. So if he hasn't charged you, he's doing a 3, 4, 5 damage track with a positive to its damage flip. And if he's in fire, if he's on fire, he can make that a positive to the attack as well, which is essentially free focus. He can also heal himself and give himself burning one. And he can say, hey, you, my enemy, are on fire quite a lot. I'm just going to make you take damage equal to how much fire you have on you up to five so he can dish out the pain for sure
0: next we have iggy who is another enforcer with the wildfire keyword iggy actually does not belong to the arcanist faction he belongs to the neverborn faction but he is something that caris can take because he is also very very fond of setting things on fire he's a cheap model he has a decent uh, melee attack that hands out burning he has a bunch of abilities on his card to sort of uh, mess with your opponent that are something that's not in the normal wildfire crew. Like he hands out stunned or burning. He has an ability that hands out damage when friendly when opposing models gain burning. And admittedly, it's once per activation, but if he's pretty close to the opponent, then he can hand out quite a bit. He has an ability to reduce damage, and he's got the fun little set uh, scheme markers on fire and blow them up like Joshua him instead He can also go fast, which is something he would share with the Firestarter.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, and our last enforcer for the wildfire crew is the Fire Golem, and he is a big flamey boy. He actually uses burning on himself as uh, armor. He can reduce everything incoming to him by two and then remove that much burning. So he really likes hanging out in a pyre marker and just doing as many actions in there as possible to really ramp up the burning. Uh, He hits... Also like a truck with a massive uh, three, four, five damage track with a built-in trigger to either give himself more burning or the target more burning. On top of all this, he actually allows putting burning on your own guys with his shockwave attack for pretty much free uh, because in a di- that can either do damage or uh, your models can say, I ignored the flip I need to make for this and I'm just going to gain burning three. So that's, you can hit, him and a few other of the other minions that like being on fire with him all for one attack and start ramping them up and he can also teleport eight inches and eat the burning off the person that he teleported to hard to lock down hits real hard difficult to remove great model
0: so uh, something you'll find uh as a bit of a theme throughout the arcanists is that there are several models that are sort of based around the different elements And the big ones, the sort of uh, big beefy hitters, are called golems. And then the smaller ones are called gammon. So there is a fire golem and there are fire gammon. Fire gammon are much cheaper and less powerful than the fire golem. But the big decent scheme runners, they're relatively cheap. They hand out burning. They got a decent ranged attack. And they can also heal off of pyromarkers if they really need to. As well as the golem, they don't take any damage from burning. And they'll hand out, and they'll turn into pyromarkers when they die.
1: And importantly, when they walk through a pyromarker, they can bring it with them. Uh, Which is how you get some of those moving up the field for the fire golem to stand in. But yeah, they work really well with the other minion for the crew, the fire-branded. Uh, which does not like specifically being on fire, although it can do the uh, reduce the burning by one to get a positive. Mostly, these guys are here for their bonus action, bonus action, which is to heal. But it's not a normal heal. You don't flip one, two, three, and see how much. You flip the target number and say, ah, that target is either on fire itself or there's things on fire nearby. I'm going to reduce burning on either the target or things nearby it, or both, up to three, and it's going to heal that amount. So it's a it's a heal you can control, which is most of the reason I bring it. It also has a nice ranged attack that also hands out burning. Big surprise. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they make a nice uh, support piece to follow around the golem and the gammon to keep them being these kind of oddly hard targets to remove.
0: So I believe that's everyone in her keyword currently. Her box... From second edition, will include her, the Eternal Flame, Three Fire Gammon, and the Fire Starter. I'm not entirely sure what they'll she'll have for third edition, but there's definitely nothing wrong with picking up the second edition box.
1: I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same, uh, because the other box that they've announced to go with her is Elijah, Three Fire Branded, and the Fire Golem. Okay. So pretty much if you buy those two in Carlos and Iggy, you have everything you need.
0: Okay, moving on to, finally, the not-Arcanist's Arcanist. Arcanist. (laughs) Sort of the other big, I would say political, political in in sort of the scope of the power she holds, is Mm -hmm. the Foundry Keyword and May Fang, who runs the Foundry. Now, the Foundry is the organization that primarily builds the railroads across Malifaux. She has a very railroad-type theme, theme. Railroad-type models and um, some railroading shenanigans with her movement tricks. She's great. She is a kung fu master with uh, sort of power to control metal and fire, which is just super cool sounding. She's got a really cool sculpt, and she is also secretly a member of the Ten Thunder. This is the first dual faction master we've covered, and so she can also be played with the Ten Thunders as well as the Arcanists.
1: Yes, and when doing so, she can bring all models of her keyword from either of those factions into whichever one she's hired into currently. The way that they really, I think, most improved keyword goes to her, but their ability that all of them share is called Ride the Wh- Rails, not Ride the Whales, that would be something entirely different. <laughs> uh, but if they are within an inch of a scrap marker and take a walk action, they don't care what their movement stat is, They just pick another scrap marker within 12 inches, which doesn't need to be in line of sight, and place in base contact with it. This can work even if they're engaged. This is amazing. This crew takes a little bit of setup to get your railroad tracks down with those scrap markers, but they're very well equipped to do it. Uh, May herself works very well as a combo master, which has always been her her shtick, as it will, but This has made it a lot easier to do. She has the ability to reduce her final duel total by two to add any suit she wants. So she can, as long as she's beating you at what she's doing by two, she can say, I want to get this trigger off. Done. Add to that, she can move a little bit from it, and she can push two inches whenever she declares a trigger, uh, which is pretty great. She has solid melee attack, a ranged attack with no gun. Uh, she shares an ability with a few of her uh, key pieces to put out steam, which gives concealment uh, to everybody within aura three of it and hurts non-construct models, which I think everything in her keyword except for maybe one guy is a construct model. Oh, by the way, she can also pick any one of her her friendlies and push them a little bit. And push them more if they use up some scrap markers. And basically use them to beat people with them. That's uh, called Freight Train. And <laughs> you'll... She uses it very well with her golem. Uh, which used to be called the real golem. Now is the metal golem for naming purposes.
0: So Mayfang's totem is the Forgeling. It's this little uh, fire and metal demon goblin thing. Uh, the Forgeling will put out burning. It will also be able to ride the rails like everything else. It has an okay attack, which you'll use sometimes, but I think the best ability on it is its bonus action, which will allow it to end any number of conditions on the target model, and then for every condition it ends, that model heals one, which is really nice, because usually condition rule is a single condition, not as many as you want.
1: Her first and, I believe, only henchman is Kang who is a Ten Thunders model, but again she can bring him into uh, Arcanist. He I think honestly is is a very good call in this crew. Uh he can discard a card to not allow a friendly nearby him to gain distracted or slow. Uh he's hard to wound. He can also discard a card or a scrap marker when he activates to give Focused out to other friendly models uh within four inches. Which, you know, allowing Multiple actions worth of work off of not even an action for a card or a scrap marker that you're throwing out anyway, pretty solid. Uh, He can heal himself for discarding a card as well, uh, and has a decent ranged attack and a very solid melee attack. Mayfang has several enforcers. The first
0: one is Willy, who's gotten an upgrade since the second edition. Second edition, he was actually a minion, so this is great for old Willy. He is the Demolitionist, which uh, is a ti- very apt title because if you see his model, he's pushing around a wheelbarrow full of dynamite. He's just just a great guy. He won't take damage from stuff blowing up near him because he knows how to deal with explosions, and Willie really is mostly used for, one, putting out some pretty nasty explosives and also turning any ski marker nearby him into a landmine.
1: Uh, so then we move on. One of her other enforcers is Sparks <laughs> LeBlanc. This is this is actually one thing that uh, we, I don't think, mentioned. May, in addition to having Ten Thunders and Arcanist Keywords, the Foundry keyword itself can be found in a few Bayou models. Sparks is one of them. So she can bring models from three different factions into one crew. Uh, Sparks works a little bit differently because he brings things from his other Gremlin keywords. Uh, but he has Ride the ride the Rails. Uh, he also doesn't take any damage from explosives nearby uh, and also makes scrap markers nearby severe and hazardous, damage and injured one. Also, one of his unique things, enemy models within six of him cannot be targeted by actions of other enemy models. So he turns off a lot of of buff that the opposing crew does. Uh, He can heal friendly constructs by hitting them with his wrench, which is otherwise a a middling to decent melee attack. Uh, He can also attach an explosive upgrade to uh, a model near him, uh, which I believe still says when you hit it or when it takes damage... It explodes onto whatever's next to it, and you control that. He's also one of the models that has Analyze Weakness, which turns off armor and shield lid on the target, so you're going to see him when you expect to see a lot of armor on the other side of the table.
0: Next up is yet another enforcer for Mayfang. Fang. This one's actually in the Arcanist, hooray. He goes by the name of Neil Henry, and he's a very a not subtle at all allusion to John Henry, if you know the tall tale But he is a very anti-construct piece, and even when he's not having any construct to hit on, he is putting out just an absurd amount of attacks. He has the ability to flurry, which means that once he makes a melee attack, he can discard a card to take another one, and also he can use a bonus action to give himself fast. So in a decent amount of situations, he'll be getting off four attacks as opposed to two from a normal model. He can ignore armor, he can give out stunned, he can give out injured, and his... I guess I, most iconic action I would call is called Whirling Hammer, and what happens is that models within three inches of them have to pass a target number or the way other than, or they gain injured two, and if those models are constructs, they're at a minus flip to the duel, which means they would have to outright pass that, otherwise they wouldn't be able to cheat, and so they pretty easily get injured, and since it's a single action, you can take them multiple times.
1: On to their first minion, the Rail Worker. Uh, These guys, at first glance, appear slow and kind of hard to kill. Uh, Once they're on the table, you will see that they don't care that they're slow. They are there to throw their friends further up the table, or throw their enemies where they don't want to be and do damage to them. Uh, Ride the rails means, again, you don't care how fast they are. Between armor and hard to kill, they live just rather a long time, and they do a... Probably an enforcer's worth of damage uh, in their damage track.
0: Next up is a, well, yeah, we'll split them up. Is an enforcer, because I didn't list these in the correct order. We're going back to the whole gammon golem situation, but instead this element is metal, and we have the metal golem. It was previously named the Rail Golem before, but now we're bringing the name in line with all the other elemental gammon and golem. So if you hear someone say um, Metal Golem, or I mean, if you hear someone say Rail Golem, that's what they mean. They're talking about the Metal Golem. The Metal Golem acts like a train. He hits like a train. It's great. He has an ability called Walking Forge, which he and the gammon and the Emberling have, which says once they end their turn, they can drop a scrap, which is very useful for the Ride the Rails ability, which he has. He's got some huge fish They smacks things with, a decent damage track, and some really good uh, triggers, one for giving him shielded, the other one for letting him take that vent steam action, which makes areas around him hazardous. Another one to push enemy models. He also has an ability that used to be called pain train. <laughs> I got, ah, man. I Those were probably, the days. I should probably edit that out, but now it's called off the rails. What happens is that he can push in six inches, ignoring all models, and every model he push passes through during this push will take a target number duel or suffer damage. And then also he can hit any model that he moved through. So also the models that take this damage will be placed next to him. So you have a, a decent amount of models to select uh, an attack for if he goes through
1: multiple ones. And the minion linking up with him the most is the Metal Gammon. Also pretty hard to get through to actually do damage to them with armor, two. Same thing with Walking Forge. And when they die, they drop not only their regular scrap marker, but another one within three inches of themselves. These are going to be your primary way of of setting up those rail lines for you to jump to. Uh, Their melee condition, or their melee isn't bad uh, for what they are. They have a way of boosting it. They have a bonus action to pull them basically an extra walk towards another construct, so it's a good way to move them up uh so you can further the distance their rail lines can go, and they can hand out shielded to friendlies, which is always nice. Next up is another Bayou model. Um also
0: should have been in the Enforcer list, but it, it no one really cares what order we do these things in, right? Another right, armor here. two, another walking forge, another ride the rails. He's got an interesting ability called Rage Machine where uh, friendly models within three of him can take a damage to add a plus flip to their attack. So he's helping other people, but he can definitely do some work himself. He's got tusks with a bunch of different triggers on them. He has to declare them. It's it's kind of a, a gremlin sort of thing. You have to declare trigger if you can, uh, as well as vent steam and reckless, which allows him to take three actions, which is just great, and another heal. So all in all, pretty decent beer and cheaper than the Metal Golem if uh, you can't afford them. Did you get the
1: name on that one? Mechanized Pork Chop? Did it? There we go. I I legit didn't remember if you said it or not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mechanized Pork Chop. It's a big robot pig. So Most that's, delicious bacon. <laughs>
0: yeah. So that should do it for the Foundry models. Mayfang's um, box hasn't changed since first our 1.3. And everything in it should still go with her. It'll be her, it'll be the Emberling, it'll be Kang, it'll be the rail workers, and uh, it's quite possibly what she will be coming with in 3rd edition. Yep. Next up is a key player in the way the Arcanists make money. The big thing that the Arcanists do to fund their organization and sort of fund anti guild sentiment across uh, Earthside, on the other side of the Breach, is soulstone smuggling? If you don't know what soulstones are, they're one a key aspect of the game. They allow you to do extra things with certain models, namely masters and henchmen, and with a few exceptions. But they're magical, glowy rocks that power uh, machines and power magic and just do all sorts of crazy things. And so the guild has been trying to, you know, control the soulstones that go in that go out of Malifaux to, you know, retain power. Power uh, soulstones are power. So what the Argon is doing is they're smuggling them out and then they're selling them to countries that will pay for them to fund their stuff and then those countries can sort of throw out the shackles of the kill. So the master that is actually controlling the smuggling operation doesn't... Well, her theme doesn't necessarily convey that, but her theme is one of those things that's like, this is Malifa, because nowhere else are you going to find stage performers. So our next keyword is performer and this is led by colette dubois she runs the star theater and she has a bunch of performer pretty ladies and a few other things like
1: carlos <laughs> as far as for playstyle, do you like to scheme because they will scheme you can scheme in your sleep with this crew their keyword across ability pretty much is don't mind me they can take the interact action while engaged or if they've taken the disengage action. You cannot stop them from scheming. They will do this. Uh, Colette herself has this, and she is well known for being rather difficult to attack uh, due to all of her defensive tech. If you attack her, she is a master illusionist and will fade away in smoke and mirrors, literally leaving the table after reducing whatever damage you've done to her by two, You're also going to have a negative on everything you do to attack her. And when she activates, if she's buried, which is what happens when you attack her, she can pop up unburying within near a friendly model or a scheme marker, friendly scheme marker, and then gives out distracted to everyone nearby. And then as those people activate, if they have distracted, they gain stunned. So she functions very much as the big distractions that your opponent has to deal with while her crew is actively doing work she is a disruption piece she moves her people to where they need to go teleporting them around to where they need to be she moves your opponent's pieces where they don't want to be with that same teleporting action she can also uh, once a turn hit them with a 346 damage track and bury them put them in the magician's box if you will she is my favorite <laughs>
0: Okay, Colette's totems are called the mechanical doves, the robot birds. Doves always being sort of a key staple to your classic stage magic show. They are used primarily as harassment and sort of nodes of action for other models. People will be able to take actions based off of them. And in a pinch, Colette can use them sort of as soul stones if she needs
1: to. Yes, indeed. They're they're usually your teleportation points. Yeah. And if they die, you get to draw a card. Which is pretty great. On other than that, they're they're pretty much what you see. They are robot birds. Her first henchman is Cassandra. Uh she is the magician's assistant, I believe is usually how she's billed. She also has Don't Mind Me. She has the ability to walk as her bonus action. If she takes the interact action, she just picks a model within six inches of her and gives it distracted. And when she's done with her turn, she can say, oh, there's a a scheme marker nearby me. I'm going to move it three inches. Like I said, they scheme while they're sleeping. Meanwhile, she can also do pretty decent damage, which has a built-in trigger on her melee to move her after she hits you. Uh, She has a ranged attack that can shoot into or out of engagement because it doesn't have a gun. And uh, as a magician's assistant, she has learned to adapt the abilities of other people and can basically take a friendly action if it's not written on her card if the friendly is nearby oh and she can also uh, i almost forgot this uh, she can put other melee actions targeting her at a negative uh, until the end of the turn is her other actual bonus action
0: next up is the other showgirl uh henchman which we already covered this is carlos vasquez So this is the more uh, showy aspect of his Fire Dancers uh, type of fighting. He is probably a more straightforward type uh, attacker in this crew that's mostly made up of uh, schemers and manipulators. We talked before about him sort of fitting more mechanically in with the wildfire, but the nice thing is that he brings all the stuff he really needs to function on his own. And also if you bring him, it gives you more opportunity to use models from Outside of the showgirl keyword, more effectively, that
1: medically burning, which is a, a decent amount of the faction. Yes, indeed. Their first enforcer is Angelica Durand. She is pretty mobile. She actually gets to move before the game even starts uh, for free. She has, again, don't mind me as pretty much everybody does. And if you try to attack her before she goes, you'll be at a negative. I honestly don't think I've ever attacked with her. Uh, I've occasionally used her shockwave marker to hand out some distracted at range, uh, but really I use that for the trigger that lets her, instead of placing a shockwave marker, place a scheme marker again at range, which is huge. And her bonus action, which allows her to make a friendly performer, including herself, move up to five inches. Since it's a move and not a walk, you can use it to get out of engagement. She is a, a great toolbox for this crew.
0: There is another enforcer, but this is very, very much tied to another uh, minion, so I'll let Roman cover those two at the same time. I'll go ahead and, and cover instead the other two minions. Uh one being the the Showgirl, which in second edition used to be called a the performer. These are sort of your um sort of low level schemers they're hard to hit unless they've activated. They can obviously take interact actions while engaged. They have, an I would say, a mediocre attack. But they have two other attack actions that sort of attack. So one thing you need to learn here is that, if you're new, is that attack action doesn't necessarily mean you're trying to hurt the other person. It covers a wide range of things. So they have a very famous ability called Lure, which will take a... Uh, the target model will have to walk towards this model. Actually, it's just moved its movement, so there are certain things that are triggered by walks, and it's not technically a walk. They can also seduce a model, which will remove the focus condition, which is a very good ability to have, because focus is very powerful, and it will gain distracted for the troubles. Uh, another minion, which is uh, even cheaper than the showgirl, is the Mannequin, which looks like a mannequin with a skirt on. And these are sort of uh, protective-type models. They're usually going around assisting and sort of taking hits for the more squishier performers they have. They have an ability called Take the Hit, which will let them be the target of an action that would normally target a friendly model. They can heal if they need to. They can hand out slow as an attack, or they have an an okay... um, A knife attack but for four soul stones it's it's better than you'd expect
1: yeah they're not bad the big thing i bring them for is they will actually for free follow performer uh that ends a walk within six inches of them so you get a ton of free movement out of them
0: but if you want a mannequin that uh instead of has having a couple knives for fingers has giant blades for hands uh, what would you what would you bring roman
1: I personally would go no further than the two-for-one special on the Koryphi, bringing in a Koryphi duet. So this is a very interesting, really two models. You can either pick two Koryphi, which are minions, and cost six, or you can bring in one duet, which is an Enforcer, and cost twelve. Either way, you're getting the same thing out of them. They're all armor 2 uh, they're all pretty mobile, they can walk out of engagement uh, without getting hit they can take a nimble action as a bonus action if they want charge through people and do one damage automatically and if you break them they turn into mannequins with one wound remaining they also do the same pretty solid damage as cassandra with a few interesting triggers including as the duet an execute trigger that just says you're gonna die unless you discard a card or soulstone. the nifty part with them is they have a bonus action on the duet? It's called dance apart. On the chorefy, it's called dance together. Dance apart essentially says replace this model with two Corey fee models, and replace the way the rules work allows you to say one of those models has gone or will finish up the actions that the duet used. The other model has not gone yet, uh, so you get to place these guys touching the Corey fee base or the duet base, then. On the other one's action, you can use their bonus action, which is Dance Together, which places the duet base touching either one of the models replaced by it. So you can get some interesting free movement out of them, and essentially you're getting two activations of the duet. A lot of people are going to say this is kind of broken. I urge you to tell them no, because this is one of the few things in the crew that's going to survive more than a hit or two. It's really there along with Colette as the big distraction that takes the hits while everything else actually does the work. They do have a fun uh, pulse heal that doesn't affect themselves that Cassandra can borrow. It's one of my favorite things to grab with her. But other than that, yeah, you're pretty much bringing these guys all the time because they are very good and it's very difficult to make the crew last through a whole game without them.
0: And that's it for the performers. Uh if you again, if you pick up the second edition box instead of the third edition box, you'll be just fine. Although I will say that the new version of Colette is uh just gorgeous sculpts. Nothing wrong with the second edition one, but uh they went whole hand with uh the performer aspect of it, and it's it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're going to go more into the magic theme of the Arcanists now. We're going to go with the head guy that's used to train the uh, steamfitters of the Arcanists. The term steamfitter usually is a sort of moniker for any illegal magic-wielding person that's kind of an operative for the Arcanists, although the steamfitters in the game are more of an actual uh, steamfitter. If that makes any sense. But we are getting into the academic keyword with Sandeep Desai. Sandeep hails from India, where the guild is viciously oppressing his people, and he is trained in the ways of magic, and especially elemental magic. So this, if you're really into magic and wizards, this is probably the best, I would say the best character in the game to sort of represent the classic d d wizard, although he traded in the robes and hat for a turban and... Uh, He's also still wearing robes, so pretty pretty decent on the (laughs) wizard effect. The other thing of his is he has a bit of a dark side, or he can get incredibly angry, and instead of turning into the Incredible Hulk, he summons the Incredible Hulk as his totem, which we will get to later. But, Roman, how does Sandeep play?
1: So Sandeep's whole crew functions around their shared ability, which are mantras. Essentially, every model, or almost every model, has an aura that they put out and these are all differently named auras so they can stack where essentially if an elemental model the gammon or golems we've been talking about take a concentrate action which normally just gives you focus and still will for them they can also do whatever the version of the mantra that they're standing in will allow them to do for sandeep himself it allows an enemy model or rather when The elemental model takes the concentrate action. It can just pick an enemy model within a couple inches of it, and they take a damage. He himself, as well, kind of squishy, lower on the the health side at at 10, but he does gain shielded 2 every turn. He can make academic models near him, or rather academic models near him, can discard a card uh, to take the concentrate action as a bonus action, if they don't have a better bonus action to take. And he can do his ranged attacks uh, from friendly academic models drawing line of sight and range from them if they're within six inches. So he can essentially tack on an extra six inches plus base size to all of his ranged attacks and shoot around corners using that. He also gets to hire elemental models as though they were his keyword. Uh, he can do decent melee damage and do some little card tricks with that, but really with as squishy as it is, I think most of the time you're going to be either summoning uh, more elemental minions, so gammons or golems. Or, excuse me, not golems, they are enforcers. So pick a gammon and summon it, or multiple gammons. Or he's going to be uh, shooting his magic either directly or through a friendly nearby as I mentioned. He can also tell an elemental to push two inches and take a non-bonus action. Uh, So he can essentially do that to scheme at range and use that to get them out of engagement or wherever they need to be. He's finally, his bonus action, uh, he's another one of the ones that can make his friendlies explode like Ramos could, except he, of course, does it to his uh, gammons and golems instead of spiders.
0: All right. Just because he's so... I would say, critically tied to the playstyle. once Why don't you go over Bonasuva as well?
1: Okay. Uh, so, Bonasuva is the incredible Hulk spirit that is in his weapon, essentially. And he, he has his own mantra, which essentially says, if a friendly elemental takes concentrate, it can use its demise ability, which, for the different gamins, allows them to kind of do what they want to do like for the fire gammon we've already talked about, lets them put down a pyre marker so that they can start sitting in the fire and throwing it around. Uh, For the, excuse me, for the metal golem, it's put down a scrap marker so that they can use scrap for whatever they need to and they can still ride the rails in this version. He himself can essentially pick a demise ability of one of these elemental guys as his elemental and put down whatever... Of those he needs to, or needs to at the time. He's immune to burning. He can discard a card to hit something an extra time. He's a pretty solid melee attack for that, and another uh, solid ranged attack, too. Uh, he can also do the friendly elemental takes a non bonus action, same as Sandeep, just without the two inch push. And he can throw toss uh, models that are a lower size than him, so anything size two or under so other people and the gamins not the golems it's a good way to get them up the table essentially
0: okay next up is his first henchman kudra akaria she is um she looks also i guess i should go into the theme the sub theme of uh sandeep's is a very indian centric theme models that aren't based off of the different elements usually have this uh, going for them. And Kudra is a nice lady wielding Cobras, which is um kind of terrifying if you think about it. She is a relatively mobile beater in the sense of uh, weight of attacks. She has Venomous Strike, which I'm assuming she's just whipping people with those Cobras. And she has a built-in suit to take that attack again. So if she's attacking twice, then she's quite possibly attacking four times. It's a decent 2-3-4 damage track, but also part of her mobility is butterfly jump, which I don't think we've talked about yet, which says that after resolving an attack action against her, she moves three inches. So if anyone sidles up to her and attacks her, even if she uh, takes damage, she'll be able to move away and then they can't uh, use that melee attack again. Or she can use the hide or put herself further up the board. Um, she does have a ranged attack. I'm not entirely sure how often you're going to be um, using that because she kind of wants to be in the thick of it. She has a tactical action to heal all elemental models within a fairly short pulse of her. And most a lot of elemental models are going to be punching things instead of shooting them. Lastly, she has a really powerful bonus action called Disillusion, which lets you p- move a model up to its movement in inches, kind of like the lure, but you decide where it goes, which can be pretty nasty uh, depending on where you make them go.
1: Sandeep's other henchman, uh, Kandara, is an elemental herself, just like Banasuva. Uh, she is also immune to burning much as he is, and has serene countenance, so everything every attack coming at her is at a negative. Her mantra is probably the best one. This is the reason I could see bringing her out of keyword into some other elemental based crews like Karis after she or an elemental model in her aura takes a concentrate, they can draw a card. It's amazing. On top of all of this, she can also discard a card to take an extra melee attack, and she can just walk out of engagement with Agile. Her melee and ranged attacks are not uh, impressive as far as damage goes, but they are very... you're not going to miss with them, generally speaking. They also have some interesting triggers. The ranged one essentially teleports her If you hit severe damage, it teleports her into base contact with the target, and she can also use her bonus to pull a friendly target out of engagement. All right, the first Enforcer in another elemental model is
0: the Essence of Power. This is a... Oh, one thing I probably should say, although it might be a little bit obvious if you look at the artwork, but Kandara is canonically the wife of Bonasuva, the forearm uh, fire demon thing stored inside the mace of sand deep there so it's very i'm I'm gonna not gonna try to butcher my uh indian mythology so i won't do that but they have a very um mythological look to them anyways essence of power is an enforcer in that it's you can only bring one but it's a very cheap model to be used it's mostly for buffing up Friendly Models, uh, it has Empower that says any f- friendly model within five inches that uses a Soul Stone gains a plus flip to the duel that they're using the soulstone on. And they have a tactical action-, action called Amplify that says models within three of them will gain plus one to their duel totals in opposed duels, which is very, very useful. It's got a couple of attacks, but usually you don't really want to be using them. One of them, in fact, hurts it.
1: Moving on to their first minion, we have the Shastar Vidya Guard. Their mantra is they allow friendly elementals who concentrate to push up to two inches. They are kind of the minion tanks. They have a good amount of health with shielded one every turn, hard to kill. And if it has focused and cheats against an enemy model, it can draw a card. So nice little bit of card cycling there. Uh, Solid melee damage uh, with a trigger that it can ignore armor and another to take its ranged action, even if it's engaged, uh, which is another pretty solid attack that can do a little bit of damage to multiple things. And its bonus action uh, allows another friendly model to move up to two inches, so kind of forces the, uh, the mantra ability again, essentially.
0: The next minion academic model is the Oxfordian Mage. These, we mentioned before, used to be in a part of Ironsides' crew box, but now they're working with Sandeep. These are sort of your mid-level uh, attacking minions. They have Arcane Shield. They Their mantra is the ability to heal models, which is really, really nice. They have Counterspell, which forces your opponent to discard a card if they want to declare a trigger against this model. And although it's a six-inch range, so snipers don't care. Um, They have a melee attack and a ranged attack with the same damage track, the ability to put on burning if you're punching them, and a really interesting ability that lets you sort of swap around conditions on the opposing model for the ranged attack. Their other tactical ability, which is probably the one you would use if you wanted to bring them into other crews, is called Arcane Conduit that puts out a bubble of five inches that says uh, when a model activates, it can remove a condition. That's quite useful. Um, If that model has a summon upgrade attached to it, which Sandeep will have for the elemental models he summons, then that model and the mage will take damage.
1: So that brings us to the many different types of gammons and golems (laughs) that we've partially been talking about so far. Uh, I did want to mention at this point the upgrade that Doug just mentioned that goes on to all of Sandeep's summons. Has an additional statement on it of, I believe it's a Captain Planet reference of what our powers combined. <laughs> if you have a model with one of them on there and there are two other gammon of the same type next to it within a, a short range, at the beginning of its activation, you can replace all three of them with the golem of that type. So if you have three fire gammon, poof, you have a fire golem. Same with ice and metal. Wind and Poison, we do not yet have golems for, but I would imagine they're coming. Fire and Metal, we've already covered. They do the same things we mentioned before. We can cover uh,
0: Ice with the person that they go with, but Wind and Poison don't really have a keyword they go with besides Sand Deep. So we'll cover those two.
1: Yeah, so windgammon, uh, they are your scheme runners, by and large. They're not beefy, but they're not easy to kill. They're quick-moving, they have flight- And when they die, uh, a friendly model within a fairly sizable aura of them can place anywhere within four inches. Uh, So that's pretty great. They also have leap, uh, so they can just jump away wherever they go. Free movement, essentially, is a bonus action. And their ranged attack actually pushes the target away from them as well, in addition to damage. And their close-in attack does similar on a trigger.
0: Poison Gammon are another mid-ranged minion. Uh, Their stick has to do primarily with poison. Both of their attacks hand out poison. And they can layer on more poison if they get the appropriate trigger. Um, Nothing too terribly special about them. They will um, make poison hurt even more for models around them because they'll take damage when they activate. And they'll hand out poison when they die. As far as why would I take these models, there are a few things that interact with poison in the faction and as well as there is a concept that's weight of conditions the more different and varied conditions you put on the model it's harder for them to handle so while arcanists have quite a bit of distracted and fire and staggered um, poison can also add to that party
1: and within a uh, keyword i believe kudra's snake punches hand out poison as well so you <laughs> yes. put a poison gammon next to her and whenever those people take poison it'll hurt them more yes
0: Sorry, I forgot about that. Forgot about the snake punching. How can I forget about the snake punching?
1: Hey, whenever you forget about the snake punching, I am here to remind you. We're a team.
0: Thank you. So that's everything in the academic keyword currently. Um, Sandeep's box is really new. He's a fairly new master. And he will come with Kudra and Banasuva and three poison gammon if you get the second edition box. Next up is sort of a tangentially related keyword these are this man in particular runs uh, i would guess i would call it a cult but these are the the beasts of Malfo. these are the horrific natural creatures that stalk their prey in the night and all that jazz but he sort of his territory is in the same territory that the arcanist called home so his sort of diplomatic
1: he's allowing them into his his area and he and they're going to do Less bad things to the nature than yes. the guild are.
0: He primarily um is anti guild as much as the Arcanists are because they're the ones that are primarily pushing for settling the new uh territory and for murdering all the local species. So the keyword is called Chimera, and the master is Marcus, and he is the leader of the. Uh, crap, what's the group called?
1: I think it's the Order of the Chimera, isn't yes, it? It's
0: the Order of the Chimera. Thank you. Sorry. You're good, but Marcus is actually like a hundred years old, but he seems to have discovered a, a some sort of magical cure for age, and so he looks like a young man. He used to be a college professor until he went out into the wild and decided to become king of the beasts. So his crew is almost entirely centered around beasts and modifying those beasts in sort of crazy
1: and uh, horrific ways. <laughs> so how does he play? Marcus is the faction's uh, upgrade juggler, essentially. He mutates his beastie chimera friends and says, Hey, you giant cat, you need a pair of wings this turn to get you where I need you to go. The cat goes, Wait, what? No. And then suddenly has wings and can fly and a few other things on these different upgrades. I believe there's five of them. Uh, There's the wings as mentioned. There's one that allows them bonus to charging attacks Uh, another one that gives them armor and shielded if they don't move oh and another one that uh, gives them hands out adversary whenever they attack something so that other uh, models that attack it can hit it easier the other thing he does in regards to the upgrades most of his beasts can discard the upgrades to give themselves a suit of their choice on the action that they discard the upgrade on When they do, if they're within six inches of him, he can draw a card because he's because of one of his auras. So he juggles the the cards or juggles the upgrades, turns them into resources for his uh, models to use, and then once they've been used, he gathers up a card as a resource as well. Uh, He can also, he he is also a Neverborn Master as of this edition. Apparently, he and uh, Titania have made nice and are sharing the forest. He can hire beasts as though they were his keyword, but only in the faction that he is hired into currently. That really means more for the Neverborn than for the Arcanist, as most of the beasts have the Chimera keyword as well. He can also attach one of those upgrades to himself every turn. So he's essentially, after turn one, always getting an extra bit of card draw because he will discard the one from the turn before and will discard a card to say, no, you're not attacking me, you're attacking my pet next to me. (laughs) Uh, He himself has a decent attack. It's not great, but if you have nothing else to do, awesome. Mostly what he's going to be doing is handing out these upgrades and also telling friendly beasts to either move or with a built-in trigger, charge. And he can also give them a little bit of a movement boost in an aura that he does as well.
0: Overall, and if it's not terribly obvious the whole beast theme kind of makes this faction run around the idea of moving very quickly pouncing on the enemy and dealing a bunch of damage defense isn't necessarily their strong suit but they do have a lot of attacks and just about everyone in the mo- in the keyword has a uh, trigger to heal themselves which is supposed to represent them eating pieces of the models they're fighting so and that'll is-
1: usually be the uh, suit that they discard their upgrade to use usually yeah.
0: So Marcus's totem is the jackalope, which is a fun little, I guess I'd call it a joke. If you don't know what a jackalope is, it's a made-up fictional creature that people sort of use to um, fool children, I guess. Sort of like how a snipe is used. But uh, it's a rabbit with horns on its head, and this particular jackalope is really hard to kill. Uh, It has a demise ability that says once per turn it can discard a card and heal instead of uh, basic heal back to full instead of dying but then it can also use any mutation upgrades it gets put on it to also do the same thing so it'd take a lot of effort to kill him and usually is kind of a
1: waste of time uh miranda is the first henchman for marcus and i believe the only one she fluffwise is mcmorning's niece am i getting that right doug yes Okay, but she decided that she likes living animals as opposed to cut up, sewn together dead ones, (laughs) and hangs around with Marcus. Uh, She mostly is following around a group of the beasts to make their defenses have positives. She also is unaffected by severe terrain, as most of the beasts are. So, walking through forests, you imagine. Uh, She also... Punches with Cobras. Uh, I don't think there's actually Cobras, but it's the same attack, handing out a little bit of poison. But really what you're going to see her doing mostly is healing the beast next to her and doing it better when they have mutation upgrades on them. Uh, She can also tell beasts to move like Marcus can and has the same trigger to make them charge, but she does not have that one built in. And she has her signature ability of she can turn into an Enforcer Beast or minion, from the faction that this crew is being taken into, and uh, replace into that this can, if she gets a trigger, allow her to heal, and she attaches an upgrade to that beast that will allow her to turn back into herself. So she is the actual shapeshifter that goes full full cat or bear, as the case may be. Or giant ape, as it were. Speaking, oh, of, yeah, G- that would work. speaking of
0: giant apes, Marcus's sort of big, beefy beater enforcer is kojo which is a massive ape as i said before he's just all about attacking and has a few other fun little tactical things that can be super annoying for your opponent but his main attack is ferocious claws which has a maximum damage of six so you would be wanting to get high damage flips on that if you can which hey look there's a trigger that lets gives him a plus flip to damage funny that he has the thing that lets him heal when he eats people And also has another Execute trigger, which is always useful and fun to have. And hey, he has an ability to give himself free suits, so that's going to be a problem for your opponent. The other attack action is Toss, which makes him throw models that are smaller than him, which is an added bit of mobility for your crew if you choose. Otherwise, he can really break up any bubbles your opponent might have. Um, Lastly, he has a bonus action called Mark Territory, which is a great name. And we will let him just hoover up scheme markers around him. And it doesn't have to be scheme markers that belong to your opponent. So friendly scheme markers too, to get focused for each one that he removes. So there's a couple ways to spam markers in the game, so he could get a lot of focus very quickly, and then put that in towards doing lots of damage.
1: One thing as you started talking about him, that I realized I forgot to mention for Miranda, she can only change into creatures that are less... Of a, of a cost than her, and Kojo is more expensive, so she cannot uh, turn into Kojo. Whoops. <laughs> That's okay. We, we caught it in time.
2: Yeah.
1: Not to be a rules lawyer, but that does lead me to the next lawyer in the game, oh, uh, yeah. Ferdinand Vogel, who is also one of my few weaknesses as a dapper lycanthrope. <laughs> he is, quite frankly, a great toolbox and is one of the the pieces I definitely see myself taking outside of keyword a lot, and a model really models as we'll get to is gorgeous he is unimpeded has intimidating authority so when he is targeted you can discard a card to make that attack that's incoming at him suffer a negative once per turn he can also eat a scheme marker that he ends a walk action within three inches of to draw a card doesn't have to be friendly or enemy any scheme marker will do On the back of his card, he can hit people with a cane to, if it's a beast on a trigger, tell them to do a thing or give them injured on the trigger that's built in. More often, you're going to do his ranged attack, which has a very good damage track and a trigger to potentially draw you a card. His bonus action uh, gives friendly models, including possibly himself, since it's a tactical, shielded two and has a trigger to heal to or push the target two inches away from him. The other half of this is at the beginning of his activation, he can discard a card to heal to and replace himself with his fluffy form, the Beast Within, which itself has a trigger at the start of its activation to do the same, uh, but turn into Vogel. It is a little bit faster, a little bit more defensive instead of willpower focused. It is hard to wound and has the same damage track that Vogel has at range on its melee attack, but has a few more interesting triggers, again, like healing two, uh, ignoring armor, or jumping from one target to another, and a bonus action to push friendly, or move friendly beasts and chimeras around.
0: Next up is a bit of an odd duck with the Arcanists and the Chimera. It is the Scorpius which is both a beast and a construct. It is a giant metal scorpion, if you couldn't figure that out from the name. It is one that likes to hand out poison and fudge with poison. It has similar abilities to the poison gammon. Catalyst, when they activate, they'll take a damage. He's got a d- fud ability called Neurotoxins that says when a model has poison and is three inches, within three inches of him, it can't use soul stone or declare triggers, which is really powerful. Triggers are very important in this game. He's relatively fast, basic move fight, but he has creep along, which is a bonus action which will let him move toward the friendly model so he can keep up with faster things. And if your opponent, for some reason, doesn't have a control hand at the end of the turn, he can push up to two inches. He has the snake punch, as we mentioned before, at a stat seven, which is pretty impressive for a seven soul stone model, and a way to hand out extra poison. As well, he can cause a person to take up to their value of poison and damage up to four and then they'll rip that form off of them.
1: Moving on to the next Enforcer, we have Paul Crockett, a pretty obvious allusion to Davy Crockett. No way. Uh, no, really? <laughs> uh, he is one of the few actual full people in this crew. He can actually... He's a bit more of a ranged ability, but essentially you bring him because when he damages an enemy model, a friendly beast... Can discard a card to take a melee attack against it as well, and his gun ignores uh, friendly fire. So he shoots into something, and the bear or tiger nearby hits <laughs> the thing again.
0: In fact, I think uh, uh, he's the only sniper in the uh, the Arcanists have. Sniper being a range fourteen and ability to ignore certain defensive things like friendly fire.
1: Uh, yes, because he on the front of his card ignores friendly fire automatically, uh, and then the long carbine action actually ignores concealment as well. He also uh, belongs to a another keyword that lets him uh, when deploying, he can deploy actually an inch beyond the deployment zone. And uh, he can eat a scheme marker an enemy scheme marker nearby to draw a card off your discard pile. And hit things with an axe with the same trigger as his carbine. And he can put down a concealing marker on the table that will go away at the end of the turn.
0: Now we're getting into the minions, which he has quite a few, because, you know, there's a lot of animals out there. And first up is an adorable little kitty cat that just happens to have three heads and the size of a small car. The Sabretooth Cerberus. The Sabretooth Cerberus is an adorable little kitty. That's, uh, I guess, slightly scary to some folks. I'm not sure why. But it, like a cat, it really enjoys stalking things. It has a leap, which allows it just to place within a range, which is very useful for mobility. It can move at the end of the turn. It can stalk a model, which will give them adversary, which means the Cerberus can be on plus flips to hit them, which is really great. And it'll also allow them to push up next to them. And then he has a pretty decent attack with Min 3, so 3, 4, 5 damage. It allows him to heal and allows him to take the action again if you have a mask in the duel. And it's decently easy to get a mask with the Adaptive Evolution, so uh, be afraid of the
1: cat. The cat is pretty solid. Uh, The snake is differently solid, the razor spine Rattler. This is the one minion that he's bringing over from Neverborn with the Chimera Keyword. It's pretty mobile. That's really what it brings. Uh, It moves at the end of the turn. It pushes up to four inches. Uh, Meanwhile, enemy models engaged with it suffer a negative to duels when they try to disengage. It, when they do try to disengage, doesn't keep them from running away, but it will actually do damage when it hits them. And when it hits them, it, being a snake, poisons them. Snake punch. Yeah, it it snake punches with its own face. (laughs) and has the the usual trigger to heal to when it does uh, if you get that ram on there. Also has the ambush bonus ability, so if it's in Concealing Terrain, it just gets to push three inches. If it's not, you can still have it push three inches by discarding a card. Next up is the Mole Man, which is
0: definitely Marcus's scheme running type model. It's cheap, doesn't have a very good attack, but what it doesn't have an attack it makes up in for mobility. It has a tactical action called tunneling which lets you target a ski marker within 10 inches, regardless of line of sight, and you get a place next to it. Also, it has a defensive trigger that if it hits, which it's built in, so it's pretty easy to do, you can just bury the model after resolving, and then once it activates, it pops up next to a friendly ski marker anywhere on the board, which is crazy. So if you can get a couple of ski markers out there and just protect them a little bit, these things have ridiculous mobility.
1: Unlike our next friend, the Slate Ridge Muller, the bear, (laughs) uh, though he has gotten a bit faster than he was last edition, uh, still a a walk five and unimpeded, but he's really here as more of a tank. He has the usual adaptive evolution. He has hard to wound uh, for a negative flip on all incoming damage. Uh, He actually has a grit ability. When he has half of his wounds or less, uh, his melee attacks do plus one damage, so you really want him to kind of hover between half and no wounds. And interestingly, if he would be moved by an enemy model, he can choose not to. He can just be like, no, I am an angry bear, you do not get to push me around. Uh his claws do a pretty solid attack of two four five at a two inch engagement range, which is getting kind of rare these days. So he's very good at locking down an area, and that bumps up to a three five six if he is uh at his grit ability. He also has that ambush uh ability to push around or his other bonus is to discard a card and heal a little bit. So, he's, like I said, a, a tank area lockdown.
0: Four armed bear covered in spikes. Yeah, he's fuzzy. Smalfo's great like that. The last model, the new model, the Order Initiates, is one of the few other human-esque models in uh, Marcus's crew. It's uh, pretty generic, doesn't have a lot on the card, but what it makes up for it is a pretty good tactical action, the ability to attach mutation upgrades without asking for Marcus to put them on. It'll also be able to start the game with a mutation attached to it, which is nice. But the two tactical actions I just mentioned, one allows him to move a friendly beast up to its movement in inches, and since it's a tactical action, he can do it to himself if for some reason he doesn't want to take a walk but it allows the other models to be a lot more fast. His bonus action allows him to attach an upgrade. He has to discard one if he can, but otherwise if you have none on him, in case like you used one for plus flips or a suit, you just get to attach another upgrade. Is there, a, is there anything other thing about them? Because they just seem pretty simple. They're not bad, they're just straightforward.
1: Yeah, the, they're they're pretty straightforward. The one issue I've run into with them is they're only one stone cheaper than either the Slate Ridge Mauler or the Sabretooth Cerberus. So I often find myself going, do I want this or do I want to spend one more stone? But I am super looking forward to the models because they are gorgeous. All right. If you pick up the second edition
0: box of Marcus, you'll get Marcus, Miranda, the Lope, the Sabretooth, Cerberus, and Kojo. And the Slayer, sorry, not the Slayer mauler the Razor Spine Rattler. Now, the Razor Spine Rattler is technically in the Neverborn faction, but obviously if you're getting Marcus, you'll be able to use the Razor Spine Rattler anyways. Second to last keyword is another person who lives in the same territory as the Arcanists and has sort of the same anti-guild goals as them, but is really more aloof like uh, Marcus is. And this is our Ice Wizard. Whereas we've had our fire wizard, our, you know, master of the elements wizard, we now have an ice wizard. I guess you could call Marcus a, a beast wizard.
1: Yeah, he, he's a master of the beast element, the yep. element of fur.
0: <laughs> and Ironsides is the master of fists. Fist magic. Yes. <laughs> but this is the December keyword, and we are talking about Rasputina. Rasputina is the leader of the Cult of December, which is... A nice, happy, warm, inviting group of cannibals that live in the mountains. Their shtick is they worshipped the tyrant December, which is actually a very old cult. It's been around for a very, very long time. And then Rasputina came about and sort of cleared house, made December kind of her bitch a bit, and is generally running things better than when uh, all the males were in charge. Her stick is like she was kind of a, a main character in early stories in the book. She was originally used as sort of a, a vessel for the Avatar of December who almost manifested and wrecked all of Malifaux, but he didn't. And now that he's weak enough, she just kind of sort of bosses him around. But she is the ice wizard with ice powers. How does she play?
1: She has gone from being the blast master of last edition to a board control master. Uh, she still blasts, but it's not to the extent Of insanity that she did before. What she does now is she puts out ice pillars, uh, which are smaller than they used to be, but she can put out more of them. And instead of. And she draws line of sight and range through them, as long as they're within eight inches of her. So she can go, I'm putting down a pillar. I'm putting down a pillar even further out through that pillar, and has triggers to do multiple things that way. The thing that makes the pillars cool is when she is the leader of this group or of your your crew any enemy that starts its activation within 1 inch of an ice pillar they have to either discard a card or gain slow so not are you not only are you putting down these these ice pillars to block lanes where your opponent wants to go you're putting them down near their models so that you are saying i'm either eating your hand or i'm eating your actions which do you need less of this turn That said, those pillars are destructible, so usually the first action taken near them will be to destroy one of them, but that also essentially means if they didn't discard a card, you just ate a whole activation, and you have other ways of putting more pillars down before the next thing goes. Uh, She can also, if you happen to get close enough to her, she can remove an ice pillar marker nearby to say she takes no damage. And she ignores terrifying and manipulative, because she eats people. She doesn't care how scary they are. She's as cold as ice? Willing to sacrifice, in fact. (laughs) Her melee attack, you're almost never going to use it, because things won't get this close to her. But if they do, she can do a little bit of damage and give them slow, with a built-in trigger, to also push them away from her, so that they won't get a second attack. Her blast is still there, it just does a little bit less damage. And she can move people that are hit by it a little bit. She also has some shockwave markers that get better if you center them on an ice pillar that hand out a little bit of damage, but also slow and staggered. Are you sensing a theme here yet? (laughs) And many things in her crew will say, oh, you're already slow. Take an extra damage.
0: So Rasputina's totem is the uh, Wendigo. I... Really don't know how to properly pronounce that. It's more of the emphasis than anything, but it's mm-hmm. you know a snow beast of mythical mythicness. The Wendigos, uh, one big ability. It's got an attack, which is okay, but it has the ability to copy an attack action of a model that can use ice mirror. So there's a couple models in the game that use ice mirror. One of them is Rasputina, but it allows them to sort of use another ability of theirs. Not ability. Yet. Oh, it's not even doesn't even have to be an attack action. So any ability of a model that has his ice mirror.
1: Yep, so he can put out more ice pillars.
0: Yay. Which is good because you probably don't want to be spending
1: Rasputina's AP and building ice pillars. Honestly, she can put out six of them a turn. It's not the worst idea.
0: I, I guess not. I mean, <laughs> you're just, just playing pinball at that point.
1: Yeah, I've I've played against it. It is brutal if, uh, if you are just covered in ice pillars and can't do anything. Bring something that can destroy destructible terrain. Yes,
0: or focus on it more than you might think you need to. The other, mm-hmm. I guess, thing that we will be seeing amongst several of these models is kind of a... A lot of these keywords have actions that go across multiple models in the keyword, and this one represents how the... December models like to pig out. It has Grimfeast, which lets you eat a course marker for health.
1: Yay! Delicious. <laughs> All right, and on to her first henchman, Snowstorm. He's a big boy, first off. He also has the same thing the captain does. Of any shooting damage coming in near him is going to be reduced by two. When he charges, he'll get a positive damage on that one. If he kills an enemy model, uh, if that enemy was within a few inches of an ice. Excuse me of an ice pillar, uh you get to add a soul stone to your crew, and if he dies, which is this is another thing you'll see throughout the the crew, you create a ice pillar in base contact with him before removing. He has a fairly decent melee attack of a two four six with a puncture trigger, so he'll get positives for each ram or another trigger to give the damaged model slow. He's also a bit of the the bus that your crew moves by. Uh, early on, in that he has a shockwave ability, kind of like the fire golems, except this one doesn't give burning or or slow out to your friends. It actually can push December models that would be hit by the shockwave instead of taking damage. They push up to three inches. So he does that a few times, turn one to push a a bundle of your models up, and then does one of his bonus actions to target another friendly model with demise frozen heart, which is making an ice pillar to push them up to their move in any direction, or his other bonus action is to eat a corpse marker to heal.
0: So her one enforcer is the Blessed of December. Oh, and I should uh, not necessarily correct you, but an interesting point is Snowstorm is actually two people or two entities. It is the Silent One, which we'll get to, which is kind of like a, a wizard of ice named Snow, and it is a, a entity of... Uh, storms called storm so they sort of turn uh, turn into a tag team duel. you can't split them like you did the Corfe duet but it's pretty easy to spot them because it is a giant yeti looking monster and a lady in a parka on the same base
1: excellent call the reason i didn't remember that is i have the uh, alternate crew where it is krampus
0: <laughs> fair all right so getting on to the blessed of december Uh, I should note that we are not necessarily uh, describing all the models certain masters can take, or at least initially we kind of screwed up a little bit, but we'll cover everyone, I promise. The Blessed is a beast, so he can actually be taken by Marcus without spending the tax. Uh, He operates quite a bit like a Cerberus, I guess. Uh, Some movement shenanigans leap, deadly pursuit, where he moves at the end of the turn. And some claws that do some decent spike damage. It's a 246 damage track with critical strike, which means they can pump out quite a bit if you uh, don't take care of them. And as well, um, eat your fill, which allows them to heal if they kill something, and Grim feast, which lets them uh, remove a the course marker to heal. Hooray! I need to correct myself. It is not a he, it is a she, it is a cultist that has been transformed into this horrific beast.
1: Indeed, Uh, The first minion uh, we have is the December Acolyte. Uh, These are still quite good from last edition, just a little bit less uh, auto-take, which I think is good for the, the game. They have a cool little ability called Tools for the Job that lets you, when they activate, you draw the top card of your discard pile and discard any card from your hand. Whatever card you discard, they get to add that suit to their actions for the turn. They also have from the shadows, so if they choose instead of being deployed normally after deployment, they can go anywhere on the table outside of six inches of the enemy deployment zone. They just can't take interact actions for the turn. And they also have the same thing snowstorm did of sacrifice to December, kill something near a ice pillar and gain a soulstone. A little bit a fairly normal melee attack. Really, you're bringing them for their harpoon gun. Does a little better spike damage, 235, and pushes the target up to three inches towards them uh, with a few other triggers to either give it slow, or if it has slow, do an extra damage, push you three inches, or push the target another three inches towards you. They also have the very cool ability, Analyze Weakness, to ignore armor and shielded on the uh, target for the rest of the turn. And as pretty normal, they can eat a corpse marker to heal.
0: Yay! Hey. More cannibalism.
1: Yay! I don't know if you, you described the it.
0: But they're basically ice ninjas.
1: Yeah, that's ice ninjas with harpoon guns.
0: Which is uh, really cool, honestly. They're one yeah. of my favorite models. uh Next up is another minion called the Silent One, which we mentioned before. The reason they're called the Silent One is because they have had their tongues cut out. Yay! It's another one of these fun little rituals <laughs> this cult has. Uh, primarily they had this done so that December would not try to possess them and take over because they wanted to select the uh, the right vessel for December. So that's the fluff behind Silent Ones. Now, they are basically miniature Rasputinas. They have Ice Mirror. They can create ice pillars. They have an attack that they can shoot through. Um, uh, the range attack they can shoot through, ice pillars, all that fun stuff, as well as eating corpses. And uh, a a heel. That's not too too shabby.
1: Yes, indeed. Then we move on to the Ice Dancers. These are actually a performer we forgot to mention, but we got to them here. You're more often going to see them in this crew anyway. They're very speedy. They have Don't Mind Me. They also have butterfly jumps, so if you target them or hit them with anything, they move up to three inches. Uh, The other cool thing they can do, they can move through ice pillar markers so long as they don't end on one. And at the end of its move, it can place an ice pillar marker or a scheme marker it moved through into base contact with itself. So you use them to move around schemes or move around ice pillars where you need them to be. They have a very close range melee attack that does a little bit of damage and gives out slow. They have a very cool tactical action to push towards an ice pillar marker in eight inches, ignoring models. Any enemy models that you move through this way need to pass a movement duel or suffer two damage. And if you get a trigger, you can do that again. So if you just have two ice path markers about eight inches away from each other, you can ping pong between them for a bunch of card drain on your opponent's hand. You can eat a corpse to heal, or you can turn a corpse into a an ice pillar marker by freezing it.
0: All right, next is <laughs> uh, an enforcer. Uh, these are the bigger version of the Ice Gown, which we sort of alluded to, talking about Sandeep. This is the Ice Golem, which is a big, beefy boy that likes to smack things. He is definitely uh, selfish in that he likes to use a lot of resources your team has put out to lay the hurt on someone. So he's got a pretty decent attack with a three, four, six damage track. However, he can pick up an Ice Pillar and use it as a club. And what that does is it gives him the appropriate uh, suit for the trigger that lets him deal even more damage when he hits the target and if the target has slow which is something you'd like to hang out hand out in a screw they take plus two damage so that has potential eight damage with one attack which is quite a bit they have another tactical action that puts out a pretty big area around them it's a four inch aura and he's on a 50 millimeter base so that's a significant portion of the board that he just turns into hazardous and again he can sacrifice an ice pillar to make that deal even more damage which is pretty crazy he can also steal ice pillars to heal himself so he's he's very selfish but he is a a monster of a hitter
1: yes um on the other side of things also he's he's hard to remove no health Uh, armor too Uh, self-heal, or other heals uh, through the Silent Ones. He's hard to get rid of. He's going to sit in the middle and go, good luck. The Ice Gammon, on the other hand, uh, they are his little brothers, essentially. When they die, they turn into ice pillars. They have Armor 1, and they have a 4-inch aura. When an enemy with slow would gain slow again, it instead takes damage. The one thing I've been trying to figure out how to make... Best use out of that is they are only movement four. They are still very slow, ice-moving models.
0: Well, scary. they the very have...
1: They're made out of ice. And... It is. It is. They also don't do a ton of damage, but they have a nice ranged attack that also can hand out slow. Same with their melee attack. And uh, they can give shielded out to friendlies, and they have a bonus to do so if it is a December model.
0: Okay, um, we'll move on to the last minion of the December Cult. And this is another beast, so you can take them with Marcus. This is the Whorecat. Whore as in, like, hoarfrost. Get your mind out of the gutter. These are cats about the size of a bobcat that live in the frozen part of Malifaux. Um They're pretty good scheme runners. They can move through people. They're Move six have an okay attack and they can heal if they manage to kill something, but mostly you're gonna be running them around and making use of the ability to move through other models. Not a lot here. Anything else you wanna add, Roman?
1: No, not particularly. They're they're kinda of speedy. They're a little cheaper than an ice dancer if you a fast moving scheme runner, but usually I think the ice dancer is gonna be worth the extra stone. But they're they're good little kitties.
0: Good case. And they've upgraded. It used to be that you were supposed to put three of them onto a single base, and now they've knocked it down to one cat per base. So, all right. No, no <laughs> cat no, no swarms, sadly, as much as I want that to happen. But I believe that's everyone from the Cult of December. Uh, mind you, December is the keyword, not Cult of December. I just like calling them that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, as far as her box goes, um, I believe she'll be getting a new box, but... Um, Nothing amiss there. It'll be her. It'll be the Wendigo. It'll be a couple of Ice Gammon. And who else? Who am I missing?
1: Uh, Her box is always weird because I always want it to have. It's the Golem, but I always want it to have Snowstorm because that would make more sense to me.
0: But the new box might have Snowstorm in it.
1: I I think it does because I know Snowstorm's getting a new sculpt and it looks really good.
0: Yep. So we're going to go on to the last master, and then we'll quickly cover some of the versatile models that we haven't mentioned before. This is the last dual faction master. It is the augmented keyword. And this man, uh, for his day job, he works for the guild, which is a bit of a conflict of interest. But he is definitely the robot master that has taken over the place of Ramos. He's bringing in so much fun robots and a lot of stuff from the guild. In fact, I think that's most of his uh, his keyword there. But it is Charles Hoffman. Charles Hoffman came over to Malifo at the behest of the guild, and primarily he came with his brother, who was going to work for the guild. His brother was a much better and uh, smarter and charismatic scientist than he was, but a freak accident happened when he was crossing over to the breach, and his brother was nearly killed and kind of turned into a vegetable. His relationship with the Arcanists up until this point is Ramos uh, took his brother and saved him, quote unquote, um, with mechanical upgrades, kind of turning him into a freak cyborg kind of thing, but never really bringing him back to his actual self. He wasn't really a person anymore. He was just a machine. And so Hoffman kind of took over his role. Hoffman is a man normally in a wheelchair, but he built a suit to walk him around. Think like uh, Victorian Iron Man, if you will. But he runs the Amalgamation Department of the Guild, and the Amalgamation Department is tasked with policing illegal constructs and the fusion of living and artificial material. And so we eventually find out that his brother, Ryle, was actually not alive the entire time, and Charles just uh, subconsciously was puppeting him around using his magical ability. So Rao is no longer available. Technically, he is a part of the Dead Man's Hand, but of course, you'll usually be able to bring him. So don't mind that too much. Anyways, he is kind of a a bit of a bubble master as well. Not as hardcore as Ironside, but he likes to hand out power tokens. Oh, that's 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 your thing. Any other fluff stuff you wanna you wanna
1: talk about? No, he's basically Charles Xavier, but telepathic to robots. Yes, as far as on the table, he does what he's always done of supports his crew really well. He just does it a little bit more straightforward, like now he hands out a bunch of power tokens uh whenever he activates and heals up his his constructs, <laughs> also has analyze weakness to make them make their targets easier to kill if they are themselves armored or shielded, can do a bit of damage and uh, give fast to his his crew. And then they can all use those power tokens to push a little bit, throw them around, use them for discarding to get positives on things. And I believe some of them can use them for suits, but I might just be pulling up old beta rules at this point. I believe so. Okay. But yeah, he he is a support master uh who will basically go, I have a few really big robots come at me. Good luck.
0: Yep, he's it's good straightforward. I say one of the better masters to pick up if you want something simple, not necessarily weak. Um there's always No, not weak. Not yeah, weak. Skill is definitely going to be always be your best advantage in this game, but there's a lot less of oh, that's how that's supposed to work kind of thing going on with Hoffman here. His Totem is the mechanical attendant, it's a little robot that follows him around. It's one of his first creations it's jazz is primarily as a cheap healer. He can move power tokens around, and also he has an ability called internal magnet that gives you a little bit of movement. You can push friendlies away or towards a um this model so um you can either run them out in front and pull stuff towards them or push things in front of them and then moving. Forward. You can also use that to move scrap markers, which are very key to this crew because they love eating scrap markers for power tokens. So if you can put scrap markers closer to models, by all means do
1: that. Scrap is good. His first henchman is Melissa K-O-R-E. And I do not believe we know what that Ackerman stands for yet, do we? Nope, but uh, we've been calling oh, okay. her Melissa Core. She is essentially New Ryle, it looks like. She has power converters so she can eat a scrap to gain a power token. If she charges, she can gain a power token. And uh, her charge action can generate shoot, or rather projectile actions instead of melee actions. So, important part here, the way charges change, you can actually just charge instead of walking if you're going to do it in a straight line anyway. So why not? Gain some power tokens. She has a decent melee attack with a trigger to ignore armor. As you would expect from her being able to shoot off of a charge, she has a really nice gun. It's a Gatling gun uh, with a two-four-six damage track uh, that can potentially get burst damage. Or if she cheats the actions damage flip, you can draw a card if a, if you get a right trigger on it. She can also, as a bonus action, toss a grenade that is a shockwave, and on a trigger on that can discard any number of power tokens to add additional shockwave markers that make the duel that you need to pass higher. And that trigger is called Reign of Death, and I think it's pretty great. (laughs) She can also, as her other bonus action that you'll see on a lot of these, discard a power token to give another friendly construct the power token and push that target up to two inches.
0: I I actually don't have the cards for Dead Man's Hand. Oh, no worries. Do you want to go over Ryle?
1: Yeah, let me pull him up here real quick. he is, compared to Melissa, a little more expensive, uh, less armor, though he has hard to kill. That's why you bring him. He has Ruthless, so he does not care about manip- manipulative or terrifying. His Gatling gun is a little better because it has a positive built in and has more triggers, including a puncture trigger. Ooh. Ooh. that is, you, You're going to do consistently more damage with him at range, but he can't charge to do it. Uh, He can also heal a construct as a tactical, which includes himself, uh, and with a trigger to draw a card off of it. Oh, yeah, he's real good. I I would definitely want him, were I a big Hoffman player.
0: Well, Melissa and Ryle are very similar, and he has yet another henchman that we went over before, Joss. Don't want to go too much into what he does before, electrical zappy-zap powers, ignoring defensive abilities and being able to move around. I guess everyone's able to move around power tokens. So take Joss if you want, if you need to ignore more defensive stuff. He's also ruthless as well, but he's, I think, a little bit better up close than the other two.
1: Yes. All right, and then on to his first enforcer. This is a versatile one from Guild, the well-known Peacekeeper. Big, angry, stompy butt. Armor 2, as you'll expect a lot. Power Converter to move things around. Uh, If it dies, it can move its power tokens to friendly models within six of itself. Hard to wound and flurry, so you can discard a card to do an extra attack with it. Its melee is a two-inch melee with a three, four, six damage. It can either gain a power token, ignore armor, or do an extra damage with crit strike. It also has a harpoon gun to do a little damage at range and pull the target towards it. It can discard an enemy scheme marker to take a walk action or a uh, melee action and it can power transfer Yikes yeah it's Gripus
0: well there's a bit of a repeat effect with with Charles's uh, model because the other one the other big beefy beater enforcer he has is our Langston which we covered before um, I guess what we can Quickly say the differences is Howard is both living and construct, whereas the Peacekeeper is a construct. Howard's a little bit faster, and he has a few more models in the keyword that can buff him up. Otherwise, the Peacekeeper generally hits a little bit harder than Howard does.
1: Yep. Then his first minion, the mechanic, the medical automaton, or as I like to call it, the Medibot. This is from Arcanists. It's nice and cheap. Uh it will automatically heal anything that or any friendly that starts close to it with one whenever they activate. At its activation start, it gains a power token for every living model uh, within Aura 3 that is at or below half health. It can take the assist action essentially for free, because after doing so, it gains fast. And if a model within 3 is damaged, this can discard a card to place that damage model into base contact with it. Other than that, it has a little tiny melee attack, but on the back of its card is more healing. Only living models. So essentially, you can heal Hoffman, Hank, or uh, Joss. Or the Steam Fitters. Or the Steam Fitters, it. yes.
0: So, say you need to have a beater, but you don't quite have the 10 soul stones to spend on them. You can spend one less and take a Guardian, which is a minion. Of Hoffman. This is a humanoid robot carrying a giant shield and a giant sword, and it hits pretty hard. But I would say that his ability is more towards um, mitigating your opponent's positioning than anything. It's got a great sword, so a 3 4 5 damage track, and it gains plus slip to the damage if it doesn't charge, which uh, is useful quite a bit. It's got take the hit, so it can take attacks meant for other models. But its things I think it's best used for is toss, which lets it push on a model up to 10 inches which can be used on yours which would be useful for several uh, models and also it has scatter which just says enemy models within range range which is three inches are pushed three away from this model no way to defend it so it can push things out of uh, scoring zones or break up bubbles without your opponent being able to do anything which is actually quite powerful
1: yes indeed they are pretty great uh you'll probably always see one in there Uh, next minion is going to be the riot breaker again armor two it can choose not to take an action outside of its activation so no obeying it if you don't want it to be obeyed Uh, it also keeps enemy models within six of it uh, from taking an action unless it's their activation so nice anti-control control control here Uh, it can also eat a scrap to gain a power token Uh, it Can punch people with its shield, giving them one damage and pushing them two in any direction. It has a shotgun that has to declare its trigger if it gets it. Uh, So instead of doing two, three blast, three blast, it does no blasts and does one extra damage. And then in addition to power transfer, its other bonus action is blow it to hell, which is you put a marker within range that removes any destructible terrain within two inches of it. And models within two inches of a blown apart marker cannot benefit from cover, and that will stay there until you take blow it to hell again and place a new one
0: awesome next up is finally a minion that's affordable is the warden, which is cost five, and I think that's honestly the best way to describe it it's it's a decent attacker, but it's in a in a cheaper cost range that Hoffman doesn't have a lot of. He doesn't have a lot of cheap hitters Armor too, like just about everything else. Pursue, which says that if a model's already activated, it gets plus one to its uh attack actions, which is pretty great. A decent uh punch attack, a restraining claw that will give out slow as well. And then the other thing that's def that can possibly definitely make it worth taking is it's a really cheap model that has Ruthless. And as, if we haven't emphasized before, terrifying and manipulative can be really detrimental to your crew and make things really hard to go off if you don't have a plan for them. If the name doesn't give it away, they are sort of robots used for uh, prisons and stuff like that. It's a prison warrant. The Riot Breaker is another stopper robot with a shield, but a gun instead of a sword. I don't know if you described what it did. What it
1: looked like? Yeah, it. Yeah, it. No, I didn't describe what it looks like. It basically has a, a riot shield with a big cannon coming through it. Yay! Mm-hmm. Yay! Um, On to the next one. This is your watcher, which is going to be your scheme runner, generally because it is move seven with flight. Jeez. Uh, good luck catching it. Uh, it also does power converter and demise power surge, like everything else. Has a little bit of armor. A tiny melee attack. <laughs> And interestingly, one of its bonus actions is you can remove a scrap marker that starts in base contact with it, and at the end of its activation, drop a scrap marker into base contact with it. So they can essentially pick up a scrap marker and set up for wherever your guys are going to be next turn, so that they can be picking them up to gain power tokens.
0: All right, next up is another expensive minion in the Hunter. This cost eight, so a little less than the other big boys. Armor 2, like just about everything else. This is another one of those, like, stalking cat-type models. In fact, it's a giant mechanical cat, so it's very thematic. Deadly Pursuit lets it move at the end of the phase. Assassin is a fun little ability that lets it gain fast if it kills a model that hasn't activated, which is just gravy. Some Claws, a decent ranged attack, and a harpoon gun. Uh, which is stat six, which is just nice. So you can hit models at range if you're not close to them, and then you can also drag them towards yourself up to six inches if you hit a trigger. Um, lastly, they have a bonus action besides the ubiquitous transfer power to pounce on chest, which gives them a little bit more uh, range than what they even have. It lets them place four inches next to an enemy model and give them injured. So, nasty
1: kitties. hmm Good robot kitties. <laughs> Here's another one that's double dipping, the Union Steam Fitter. We talked about them with the MNSU. Honestly, in a, a Hoffman crew, they're essentially tiny Hoffmans. They can put out scrap so that people can get power tokens from them, though they don't give out power tokens automatically like Hoffman does. They can heal uh, when they hit their constructs with their melee, with their welding torch, uh, and they can hand out shielded to nearby friendlies, as we mentioned previously.
0: All right. Lastly, is the mobile toolkit. It is an archivist. I guess we could have specified real quickly what's in what faction. So, um the mechanical attendant Melissa Ryle. I guess the, would the mechanical attendant be both?
1: It sh- even if it's not, it it doesn't matter. It always comes with him because it's his, it's his totem. Sure.
0: So Melissa Ryle is technically in the dead man's hand. The peacekeeper. The Guardian, the Riot Breaker, the Warden, the Watcher, the Hunter, all come with the, all come in the Guild, but obviously can be taken with Hoffman. Whereas Joss, Howard Langston, uh, the Medical Automaton, the Steam Fitter, and the Mobile Toolkit can will come with uh, Archivists. Now, the Mobile Toolkit is a last minion of his. Wait, is it a minion or an enforcer? I think you can only bring one, so I'm guessing it's an enforcer. We know everything. It is an Enforcer. All right. It's an Enforcer yes. that's primarily there to cheaply hand out focus. It needs a five. It costs three, so you're spending three soulstone to basically give focus out twice so you can be next to a model. It's got a little bit of healing and a really weak attack, but mostly they're just for focus, focus, focus. Lots of focus. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Okay, That's it. Yeah. So, um, as far as getting the Hoff in the box, there's currently not an M3E version. The M2E version will strictly say guild on it, but go ahead and get him, because he'll be able to be played. An Arcanist for M3E. With him comes him, the mechanical assistant, obviously, a couple of hunters, a watcher, and a guardian. So, a good smattering of guild constructs. Obviously everything he can bring. So... Really, I think the only box that doesn't have everything in the keyword in it is Ironside. So, all in all, you're pretty safe. Yep. All right, now that we've covered all of the 8 slash 9 Masters in the Arcanist, let's quickly go over the few models we haven't gone over yet, which are the versatile ones that don't have a other governing keyword. So, up first is Envy. Weird has released a box called the Crossroads 7, They are musicians based on the Seven Deadly Sins, and each one of them is a model that exists in one faction in particular. So seven factions, seven models in different factions from the Seven Deadly Sins, but you can play them all together if you wish. But Envy is a versatile model in the Arcanist. He is in a giant mechanical spider tank that's got pipe organ pipes coming out the back and has got two Gatling guns in front of it. He's a general decent shooter for the group and uh, has a couple mechanics with sin tokens that you aren't going to use a whole ton unless you have the rest of the Crossroad 7 in there, but still useful for bringing in a shooter. Yep, uh, We don't need to go over Joss or the spiders.
1: Cause yeah, we, we've we already talked about them yep. and the captain, really.
0: And the Soulstone Minor.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, so that'll bring us to the arcane effigy, uh, another v- versatile type that every faction has its version of an effigy. The arcane one is arcanists. It is a puppet. It is very cheap. It is hard to get rid of, and you can give it a two stone upgrade that after or on turn three or after when it starts its turn, you can turn it into the emissary as the effigy. It doesn't have a melee attack, but it has a eight inch arcane gun that does a little bit of damage really you're bringing it for its other attack where it can remove a condition at range so you can do that on a a friendly if you need or an enemy if they have a ton of focus and you don't want them to and then their tactical action which is also a bonus action is negation aura a three inch aura that says until the end of the turn enemy models in this aura have to discard a card in order to cheat fate
0: All right. The Arcane Effigy is a cute little puppet with uh, reading some books and got some candles. So he looks like a little nerd. But that nerd, well, he went off to college and he got real swole and he's coming back to the reunion and he's turned into a giant mechanical minotaur with scissor arms and flames everywhere. And this is the Arcane Emissary. It's not anything like the little puppet dude, but actually he turns it he can turn into the emissary if you give him an appropriate upgrade. But whereas the effigy was a nice little utility piece for removing conditions, the emissary is a beater. He is quite fast, he's good can charge all the live long day. He's got a pretty sizable attack with a whole bunch of really good triggers And he can remove a bunch of markers around if he wants to. Lastly, he's got an aura that says models have to discard a card to cheat if they're within three inches of him. So you could possibly be using them to just throw them into the enemy models quickly, tie up a bunch of stuff, and they can't quite kill them because they can't cheat. So, uh, really good utility beater in the the Minotaur there.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Next up, we have the Mechanical Rider, which is the one of the four horsemen that is in the Arcanists. The others are scattered throughout the other factions, as um, all of them are.
0: Hmm? Yeah, let me go into the fluff for this. If, or are you going to go and do the fluff? You can do the fluff if you want. Um, Okay.
1: Uh, essentially, Leviticus was told he was the head of the riders, and all four of the riders appeared. Uh, oh, Who's Leviticus? He's a creepy old man and Outcasts. <laughs> who likes to play with, uh, well, entropy magic, but also girls of questionable age. Uh, yes. But yeah, so we have these these four riders of the apocalypse, one in Guild, Neverborn, Arcanus, and Rezzers, and they all, the front of their cards kind of do the same thing uh, as far as they're unimpeded, hard to wound, ruthless, and they all have a defensive trigger uh, where essentially... Each of them has a, on the suit that their faction is matched to, tomes for the mechanical writer. They can reduce damage by one for each tome in the final duel total. They also, at the start of every turn, gain fate tokens equal to the turn number. And when declaring triggers, they can discard any fate tokens to gain a tome for the, the arcanist writer to their duel total. The Arcanist Rider's cool thing it does is it can treat all of its gun actions as having a one-inch melee, which is good because it doesn't have a melee action. It just has a chain spear that it can throw as a gun eight inches, doing decent damage. And when it does so on a tome, it can draw cards equal to the number of tomes that it got for that trigger. All the Riders also have a bonus action that Essentially, we'll need a six, and the suit they work off of for the Mech Rider, it will allow it to drop a scheme, scrap, or corpse marker anywhere within a six-inch pulse. And then it has three triggers, one requiring three tomes, another requiring four tomes, and finally five tomes. The three lets you discard a card, and until the end phase, every friendly model within that same six-inch pulse adds the suit of that discarded card to its final duel totals. Great for if you just know you're gonna need a lot of whatever that card is. Tomes for the turn, maybe? Uh, quite a few quite a few crews have specific
0: suits that they really like. Like Marcus would enjoy Rams so that all of his models immediately heal when they attack something. Or Karis would love tomes because just about every model in her faction in her sorry, in her keyword will hand out extra burning on a tops.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, The four-tome trigger is shuffle any number of cards from your discard pile back into your fate deck if you want to supercharge your deck for the latter half of the turn, maybe. Uh, For five, you can reactivate, or rather, have any friendly non-master model activate immediately after the rider is done, even if that model has already activated this turn. And then finally... Yeah, no, it's it's really good. The, the mech rider in general does not put out as much damage as some of the other riders, but it is more tricksy, uh, more support-based. Yes, it's the support rider. And, yeah, and then its bonus action, or rather its other bonus action, is ride with me, which is just really good. It can pick up a friendly nearby, it pushes five inches, and then place the friendly uh, in base contact with the rider. Awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: Fun fact, if you... Uh could possibly suss that out or you you didn't know before um uh, four writers and there just so happens to be four writers of the apocalypse which weird is sort of mimicking here and uh in my show in the more fluffy episodes we kind of go into this and we've decided that the mech writer is pestilence so yay really God. yes huh did you not think it was
1: pestilence I honestly hadn't thought about it. I just knew that the the Pale Rider was war, and uh, I assumed Pestilence was well, pale, uh, the Pale Rider
0: is not, in fact, war. Really? Yes. What is it? Pale Rider is war. Pale Rider is uh, famine.
1: Okay. I was I was jumping to the the biblical quote of "Lo, I beheld a, a pale horse," etc.
0: Uh huh. Like Pestilence being the Mech Rider is like the least one with evidence. It was mostly a case of, you know process of elimination although you can see the steady advancement of technology as a sort of a plague in and of of itself but that's the best guess i had
1: yeah no that that makes perfect sense now that you explain it
0: okay the last versatile model is the saboteur and this is (laughs) i I wrote down terrorist because this is the model that kind of actually looks like a terrorist there are people in cloaks and hats and gas masks carrying around knives and plunder boxes for explosives they are schemers and counter schemers. They're kind of. Uh, they are originally packaged with Fitzsimmons, and um, they can blow up scheme markers. They have an ability where uh, if they attack someone and they're not within line of sight or close to friendly models, you get additional damage and ignore armor. Um, a decent utility piece. If you don't have good scheme runners in your keyword, then go ahead and use these guys to do a pretty good job.
1: And anti scheme runners as well. They are phenomenal at that.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, if they attack a friendly model I mean, an enemy model next to a scheme marker, they draw a card, so Mm -hmm. I think that's the entire faction that we just went over Yeah, go us! Yeah, it only took like three hours, but we're done Thank you very much for the help, Roman and you listening Uh, Thank you for listening to us Oh, please join our Discord if you like chatting with us. I'm on there so much of the time, and so is just about everyone that's recorded with us. I'll post a link in the uh, little doobly, the description that comes with the show. If you want to come on the show and talk about your faction, I would really appreciate that we have a couple people here that are experts in their faction, but we don't have all of them covered. So we're specifically looking for Guild and Neverborn and Ten Thunders, and possibly Rezzers, depending but uh, let me know uh, there's plenty of ways to get a hold of me and uh, like uh, go and message me on Facebook uh, you can find me on a weird place my name is Doug Broman or you can message the Steam Powered Scoundrels Facebook page or you can comment on this podcast uh, plenty of ways to get a hold of me so go and do that but thank you for listening and remember kids fun is always king and there's a thing I say at the end of every episode just, just trying to decide which one to use
1: next (laughs) room anytime doug thank you so much always a pleasure yep
0: good night songs used in this production are villainous treachery and five card shuffle all music is created by kevin mcleod and is licensed under creative commons